BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. It is Thursday, May 23rd, and live from the Chicago Sun-Times Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. Live streamers really miss out on some awesome air organ. Today on the program, we welcome political scientist Jim Lewis, union man Ryan Kelly returns, and it's the movie man, director Chris Buddy. And now your host, movie watching man, <laughs> Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Hello everybody, Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Snowflakes Thursday. And here's a story in today's bright one that really got me fired up. And I'm not talking about the one on page two. I got to show this to all the listeners yeah, or viewers. Here, well, listeners, guys. too. You see that, listeners? Look at That's that, a newspaper, huh? huh? <laughs> this is maybe the greatest headline ever. Cock-a-doodle-don't. It's <laughs> I saw this headline. I'm like, man, who wrote this? I mean, this is a great headline. It's all about efforts in the suburbs to ban roosters. You know roosters crow, D? Did you know that? Whoa. They- <laughs> the things I learned since working with you. Do they got roosters downstate? Of yeah, course. of course. I've seen them in Chicago. I'd never heard a rooster until about a year ago. I was staying somewhere. Long story. Anyway, they're rooster. Like, oh, damn, that thing is that loud. Story. Don't do your rooster noise. <laughs> Remember we did that as a, a Ben Jarowski theater? Yeah, I think what? we lost uh, eight <laughs> listeners that day. Oh, that was pretty funny. Anyway, cockadoodle don't. Uh, it's a story. <laughs> Just show Anyway, cockadoodle don't. <laughs> cockadoodle don't. Uh, cockadoodle. You gotta love the bright one. This is a great headline. It's a story about efforts uh, by Cook County Board Commissioner to ban roosters in the suburbs uh, and uh, on the grounds that they're loud in the morning. And here's one of the lines in the story by Rachel Hinton. Let's give a shout out to Rachel Hinton. Hey, Rachel. Not wanting to run afoul of a county that's becoming increasingly less rural. Get that? Run afoul? <laughs> Say, oh, I got a million. Wow. <laughs> Cockadoodle don't. I called Ramana, texted Ramana, our uh, Ace Friday guest. Every Friday, right here in the Ben Jarowski Show, Ramana Hussein uh, and the Ramana Rundown. We got, where are those T-shirts? I've, I can't get them. I don't know what's going on oh, with the T-shirts. The Tom McNamee hats are sold out, though. I know that. <laughs> Tommy Mac, Brian Joy Bogan. Hi. Anyway, uh, and she tells me that uh, uh, Daryl Jeevens wrote that headline. So, Daryl, excellent job. Hey, bright one, give Daryl a raise. Cock-a-doodle, don't. One more time. We have a picture of a rooster. See, folks, if you just... Get your information from a phone. You don't get stuff like that, all right? That's why you got to get the real deal. Oh, a headline real... was online. You know what? It's a valid point. <laughs> Guarantee it was. <laughs> Guarantee it was online. Wait, let's ask Brian. Brian, was that headline online as well? I'll tell you what. It always A guy with a cell phone comes in handy. Let's see if it was cockadoodle don't on the phone. But come on, man. Nothing quite says. Look at that. 
It hits you right. We get it. Cockatoodle tail. Anyway, that's not even the story I wanted to talk about. <laughs> Got an attention there. The story I wanted to talk about was on page 14. All right, hold on. Let me get to page 14. All right, hold on. Here we go. I'm at 10. And uh, hold on. One more. Oh, there's 14. People, there's people, listeners out there who really like that newspaper bit. They're getting their fill today. Here you go, folks. Show you that picture at the newspaper. Okay. okay. Dang, these people with their phones. Anyway, page 14. Did Underwood go over the line? Lynn Sweet, great story. Give her a raise. Uh, Lynn Sweet, the intrepid Sun-Times, uh, Washington, D.C. reporter. She wrote about the crocodile tears, boo-hoo-hoo, shed by Republican congressmen over comments made by Lauren Underwood. A word of disclosure, D, about me and Lauren Underwood. I love Lauren Underwood, all right? I love her even more than I love Nancy Pelosi. I don't know about that one. <laughs> and, uh, all right. I don't see a Lauren Underwood poster over on on the wall there. I do see three Nancy Pelosi posters. Guys, you can't see it. But uh, okay, like you can't three. see it because they're not there. He loves Pelosi. I do love Pelosi, but I'm sorry. Lauren Underwood. All right. Now, word or two about Lauren Underwood. She is the rookie Democratic congressman out of Naperville who stunned the world by whooping the little booty of a Republican named Randy Hulkerin in last November's uh, congressional election. She ran on a platform of compassion intelligence and integrity as opposed to the compassion of heartlessness willful ignorance ignorance and corruption which is the staple of the republican party in the day of donald trump with the exception i want to say of justin amash the congressman out of michigan who's the apparently the only republican in all of the world who's concerned about donald trump's obstruction of justice anyway at a hearing on, what was it, Wednesday? Lauren Underwood, a congressional hearing, was dogged in her questioning of acting Homeland Security Secretary Kevin McLean. The issue is Trump's policy of separating families at the border and locking them into detention centers. <laughs> All right, uh, Lauren, uh, Lauren Underwood said, let me get to the quote. Here's her quote in her questioning of Homeland Se Security Secretary Kevin McLean. Here's what she said. Quote, people keep dying, and so this is obviously more than a question of resources. Congress has been more than willing to provide resources and to work with you, Mr. Secretary, to address the security and humanitarian concerns. But at this point, with five kids that have died and 5,000 separated from their families, I feel like, and the evidence is really clear, that this is intentional. This is intentional. It's a policy choice made on purpose by this administration, and it's cruel and humane. Here's my favorite part of the story. According to uh, Lynn Sweet, there were gasps being heard from those in the hearing. Gasps! Oh, my God, these are the biggest wimps I've ever heard. She's criticizing the inhumane, cruel policy of separating families at the border and locking kids up in detention centers for the crime of wanting to come to the United States like Everybody else wants to come. In this room alone, I think there are one, two, three, four peoples who, four parents came to this nice country. Work. Come on. I counted up the people in this room. Four people whose parents came to this country, or grandparents or great-grandparents came to this country from another country. All right? They didn't lock them up in cages because they wanted to come to America. So that's what Trump is doing. And then when you call him on it, when you call Trump people on their inhumane policy and the consequences of their policy and families separated at the border and kids put at detention centers, oh, they cry like little babies. <laughs> hey, Republicans, if you don't want to be criticized, drop the inhumane policies. 
act like human beings instead of reptiles. I'll tell you what, D, it's kind of funny about Republicans. They love to punch, but when you hit them back, (laughs) they cry like babies. We got a great show today, everybody. Jim Lewis will be here. He is a researcher, and he said it's okay to call him a dork and a geek because he loves to get into the details. Brilliant analysis, I thought, here. The analysis, okay. I printed it from my computer. Uh, Voting trends in uh, last, uh, what was it, months, last month's election, mayoral election, broken down racially, ethnically, etc. Also, he uh, is a demographer, and we'll be talking about some of the population trends happening here in the city of Chicago. The the Tribune, I got to give them a shout out. I had a story today about Chicago's uh, falling uh, uh, population. We may be the third city, uh, excuse me, the fourth city pretty soon. We're right now the third. We may be fall behind Houston. Uh, Ryan Kelly, Union Man, will be here, I hope, at uh, 2 o'clock. He hasn't responded to my texts and calls. Come on, Ryan, hurry up and get down here. And Chris Buddy, D, he made a great movie. Chris Buddy, an old friend of this show, great photographer, great filmmaker. He directed a movie about gambling, Inside the Edge, a professional blackjack adventure. Uh, we're going to be talking about it. It's a documentary. It's coming out real soon, and it's a great. I saw it last night. He gave me a, a sneak preview. You know, it's just one of the Yeah, well, what can I say? Uh, I got to see it. Special guy you are. <laughs> I got to see it. I wonder, what is that thing called? Uh, uh, I'm looking at Brian. He's Venmo. Is that what it's called? Venmo? Venmo. No, no. Venmo is where you send money. All right. Oh. The other one where you like a Dropbox thing. Yeah. Vimeo. Dang. Smart. Anyway, uh, I watched it. It, nice was, work, Brian. it was excellent. Good job. That's why you're around, man. Uh, anyway, um, Chris Buddy will be here and uh, it's going to be interesting stuff. And I may ask him a question about uh, gambling as a vice, but it, this is a movie, folks, about these obsessive gamblers who count cards and uh, defeat the um, the casinos at Blackjack because they, they have this, they're brilliant mathematicians. Dan Best could do well at this, D. And so could you, by the way. Oh. You're very good at counting. You know, uh, <laughs> I mean, I, can't, I don't know if I could do that wicked four count you did earlier, but I'm oh, right, right. one, two, three, four. Uh, but uh, no, some um, fascinating insights. And you know, it's not the casinos, they want all the odds in their favor when people come into the casinos and outfox them through their brilliance, they kick them out and they ban them. Uh, something to think about, folks, when we consider how promoting a gambling throughout the state. Anyway, Chris Buddy will be here, lots of political talk ahead of us, but before we do any of that. The doctor has the news. Oh, by the way, you reminded me. I need you to Venmo me the money. I got you that Nancy Pelosi lunchbox <laughs> at the gift shop. Oh, yeah. The Venmo is it, it's in the air. All right. It's the middle of the day. Let's talk about the national news happening this afternoon. Mm-hmm. Wednesday, our United States president, Donald Trump, abruptly left a meeting with Democratic leaders. Then he came out and said he would not work with Democrats unless they stopped investigation into the Mueller report findings in Trump's business dealings. Democratic House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, Ben, hold your excitement. In return, <laughs> Pelosi said in return uh, that she is ready to work with the president, but he threw a quote, Temper tantrum. Uh, oh, that big surprise. In other news, Pelosi is still facing pressure from her Democratic colleagues on voicing her support for impeaching Trump. Will she? Won't she? Who knows? Ah! House Speaker has been <laughs> reluctant to back impeachment proceedings. Well, Ben, this just in. Uh, Nancy Pelosi is staying the course. Mm-hmm. At a press conference today, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi said she still does not plan to pursue impeachment and that the president would like Democrats to pursue it. For political reasons. Yes, we talked about this with our Trump experts, uh, Atiba Buchanan, 
David Seaton, Monroe Anderson, among others. Jim Coogan, get in here. We're going to need you. We're going to bring you back in about a week or so. Uh, and, uh, yeah, that's that game. She's the good cop, bad cop, folks. This is what she's doing. She's concerned that uh, the swing voters, those nervous Nellies out in the suburbs, I'm scared, uh, are not going to go with uh, the Democrats on impeachment. So she's holding off to protect uh, her Democratic caucus members. This is shrewd leadership. Michael Madigan does some of the same things. I know my uh, listeners of the more liberal lefty persuasion are outraged, uh, but this is how you play the game, folks. Folks, all right, this is politics 101. So she's protecting her incumbents. That's what she's doing. She's very cautiously uh, embracing this notion that uh, maybe it's not wise politically to move ahead with impeachment while the evidence mounts uh, for an impeachment. And so at some point, you watch, D. Uh, she's probably going to have to flip on this one. That's my prediction anyway. But right now, the good cop versus the bad cop. All right, we got some Pelosi quotes here. Uh, the White House is just crying out for impeachment. That's why Trump flipped yesterday, Pelosi said in the press conference. She then said impeachment would be divisive, but she was listening to the members of her caucus who are pushing for it. She also expressed concern about the president's well-being. Yes, she's trolling the troll, guys. <laughs> All right, uh, here's the quote from Pelosi. Quote, I wish that his family or his administration or staff would have an intervention for the good of the country. <laughs> That's great. Come on. I know there's a lot of Pelosi haters out there, but that was pretty good. All right. Let's, let's stick in that needle right between the ribs there. Intervention. Okay. Hey, Ivanka, do some intervening right now. Your father is insane. Meanwhile, Donald Trump, well, he began his day by calling one of his many, and I mean many, former employees dumb as a rock, yeah. his former Secretary of State, Rex Tillerson. Ah. Ben, I believe he is a former employee number 65. <laughs> I remember when he was bounced, yes, Rex Tillerson. Right, you see, Tillerson told the Congressional Committee this week that Vladimir Putin, president of Russia, out-prepared Donald Trump oh. during their 2017 meeting in Germany. Not really a big deal, but it was enough to rattle our president's fragile ego. He took to Twitter this morning with the following. Cue the ukulele. <laughs> Rex Tillerson, a man who is dumb as a rock and totally unprepared and ill-equipped to be Secretary of State, made up a story. He got fired. That I was out-prepared by Vladimir Putin at a meeting in Hamburg, Germany. I don't think Putin would agree. Look how the U.S. is doing. Yeah. Okay, Donald. I can't remember. Did Rex get fired or did he quit? I just can't remember. There's been so many. He was fired. All right. That's what Donnie says. Uh, Frank, if you're out there, do a little research. for. I just cannot remember. There's so many of them. I remember Rex Tillerson was an oil executive uh, from, was it Exxon? It was like, when he, you know what's funny, D? This is how low our, the bar is and how low our standards are. I remember when Tillerson was appointed, I was like, are you kidding me? This is such an inside deal. Good God, this is horrible. You know? And um, now suddenly he just seems like a rational human being in contrast to Donald Trump. By the way, folks, Sergio Vicente was in the show the other day. He's an expert in mixed martial arts, professional wrestling, and uh, a political junkie. And he was very instructive in analyzing the trash-talking tendencies of Donald Trump. Democrats, if they're going to um, be victorious against Trump in the upcoming presidential election, have got to learn how to deal with the trash-talking 
uh, President Donald Trump's very effective using Twitter to trash talk. Democrats have got to figure it out. I think Nancy Pelosi already got a good start with the, uh, we need intervention. That was, if you're dealing with a lunatic, you got to learn how to, you know, a lunatic behaves and act accordingly. And finally, oh, the greasy people Donald Trump associates with. In other news, the local news has gone national. Federal prosecutors have charged Chicago Bank CEO Stephen Kalk, or Kalk, I don't know, for approving millions of dollars in high-risk loans to Paul Manafort, the former Trump campaign chairman, with the hope it would pan out to a position in the Trump administration. Yeah, you remember the story. We talked about this the last radio show we had. Remember? I was going on... Wait, that last radio show. Oh, yeah, the one you got fired from. Yeah, that one, oh, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, WCP, you're fired! Anyway, uh, I think that's what the call letters, aren't they? I think so. Uh, uh, but uh, this gentleman, this this is a marriage of all things that interest me, uh, because not only is it the corruption of the Donald Trump administration, but it's the corruption of our very own TIF program, where people in the city of Chicago you know, generally ignore and pretend doesn't exist. But uh, it, uh, Cox Bank was the beneficiary of a nice TIF handout from Mayor Rahm. How about that, Mayor Rahm? Crossing, what is it, the partisan line to help out Republicans by giving away our property tax dollars? So anyway, it all comes together. Ben, ask and you shall receive. Frank weighed in. Oh, what'd he say? He was found, he found out he was fired by a tweet. Oh, that's right. Thanks. I forgot that. All right. Yeah. By the way, uh, T and the Tillerman, you know what? That's an album, a record from the 60s. Did really? You know that? Yeah. Wow. Or I don't it? care. <laughs> now, of course, we will keep you posted on these stories as today's program rolls along. We're moving on because okay. coming up after this short little break, people, we're going to find out what's going on locally. We are going to find out exactly what else is news. Don't go anywhere. It's the Ben Jarofsky Show. Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture, food, arts and entertainment, weekly concert listings, weekly event listings, the environment, travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader, free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. Did you know that 40% of the people in Illinois opt to be cremated? Well, it's true. And Chicagoland Cremation Options honors their wishes by providing cremation services directly to the general public. Chicagoland Cremation Options provides an affordable, ethical, and easy cremation arrangement, whether in person or online. Save thousands and streamline the process by going directly to Chicagoland Cremation Options. It's a family-owned business operated by my good friend, Douglas Klein. Here's how you reach them. ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. One more time. ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. Well, we got to get down to business. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Yes, indeed. We got to get down to business. Bob Diber, the downstate Democrat, ran for governor back in 2018. And, you're uh, so jealous that I, I voted for it and you didn't. Very jealous. I uh, should have voted for Diber. I voted for uh, Danny Biss. Uh, and uh, it just seems like Diber, as time goes on, it was the cooler vote. You're cooler than I am. Yeah, what can I say? <laughs> Dr. D voted for him, though. He loved that downstate. He was a progressive from downstate, ladies and gentlemen, all right? We'll be talking about that issue later on in the show. What you got for me, boy? People are about to find out what's going on locally. It's time for What Else is News. Do Illinois <laughs> Trump supporters like 
Do Illinois Trump supporters like Jamie Pritzker's graduated income tax plan? Mm -hmm. A new poll has been released with the results. We will unpack that in moments. But first, Mm. yep, she's mayor now. Lori Lightfoot was at Jewel Osco today, and it wasn't to buy groceries. And you know who goes to grocery stores and doesn't get groceries? Mayors. (laughs) That's who. Yeah. Oh, and Alderman. Mayor Lightfoot joined Alderman Matt O'Shea. Ben, pop quiz. Which ward is Matt O'Shea? Come. Come on, boy. 19th. Oh. All right. Beverly area. Ryan Kelly's from around there. He may be Ryan Kelly's alderman. Huge dork, guys. I knew that just right <laughs> off the bat. She joined Alderman O'Shea yeah. to launch Operation Help a Hero, which right. is a citywide collection drive to assist formerly homeless vets moving to permanent housing. After that, Lightfoot went to Ellis Park. Ben, pop quiz. Which ward is Ellis Park in? I have no idea. Oh. <laughs> I mean, come on. I know I, there's a lot of stuff up there rattling around. Uh, so my guess is, uh, can I have a lifeline? <laughs> Frank! <laughs> Frank! <laughs> uh, Ellis Park, I would say it is not mixing up with Foster Park. I have no idea. Take a guess. All right. Uh, well, after she was in the 19th Ward, so she went to Ellis Park. 23rd Ward. 23rd. Frank? We're counting on you, buddy. I'll look it up if, uh, in a minute if we don't hear I don't, like, you know, I should I needed to hear more of the sentence. Maybe I could tell you that. She, she went, went to Ellis Park. She went to Ellis Park to launch Our City, Our Safety, a citywide initiative to promote youth programs, activities, and community uh, community events during Memorial Day weekend. Oh, I, I, I don't know. I be, no, it doesn't help, but I really hope she's successful in that endeavor. All right, and here's the part that, uh, Ben, we're just going to have to get used to, I guess. Today on Rahm Emanuel schedule... <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Who cares? He's no longer mayor. Uh, ben, how are you feeling about all this, by the way? You starting to miss Rahm Emanuel at all? I mean, uh, even in the slightest. Well, let me give you uh, the short answer, and then I'll give you the long answer, okay, right? Okay. No, not at all. That's the short answer and the longer answer. Although, I'm probably going to be writing about it because he keeps writing essays. Okay. I, I, I feel like I, it's, I must address the historical revisions see we talked about this last week didn't we like which mayor i like more which uh which mayor was worse for the city of chicago yeah didn't we talk about that wrote a column about that for the reader which mayor is worse i think it's on our uh facebook page anyway mayor rom or mayor daly hmm i was critical of each mayor uh and you know while they were mayor so when i had to evaluate it i said that rom ultimately was a worse mayor uh because his post-mayoral activities where it's all about self-promoting and rewriting history were insufferable whereas mayor daly had the decency just to quietly walk away without needing to pat himself on the back and rewrite history so anyway that's my thoughts on that and the more he rewrites history the more important not just for me but even mainstream writers you know from people like the bright one the tribune you know, I could have Eric Zorn coming in, by the way. I'm going to give out a little. Eric Zorn will be our bonus guest every Saturday, folks. At uh, What time do you launch that thing? It's six in the morning. Six on in the morning. Dennis gets up real early and launches it. <laughs> that rooster crows. And Dennis is right up there. Ah, yes, rooster crowing, just like back in Alton. And he gets up there and he posts it on the uh, internet. You have to, it's like when you post something, you have to like pick it up. It's really heavy and you post it. By the way, did you notice we have hooks? Up, uh, can our viewers see the hooks? Uh, viewers can't see oh, the hooks. We have hooks thanks to me. I purchased the hooks. <laughs> he had to get he had to get in it that in there. He bought those hooks for our sign. Yeah, it does look great though. 
Looks real good. The sign looks really Brian Ernst. Can we give a, a shout out to Brian? Did a great job of putting those hooks up there. So you're not gonna you're not missing uh, Ramadan. Oh, all. that's where we were. I forgot where I was with this. Uh, no, I don't miss him at all. Take a chill pill, man. <laughs> no, I heard he's going for a bike ride. I don't know. Somebody told me he's going for a bike ride. I don't know if that's true or not, but he said he's going for a bike ride, like a long, epic bike ride around the state. Good. All right. Good. He's going, <laughs> all right, moving on. Yeah. Do Illinois Trump voters support Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker's graduated income tax plan? Ooh, I know. A new poll commission for the Illinois Clean Jobs Coalition shows a majority of GOP women and non-college voters 55 and older <laughs> approve yeah how about i know it's approve all right i'm gonna take notes on this yeah. go ahead they mm. approved jb 55 and older approved the plan here according right. to the poll by tolchin research which mm. is the pollster for mr 27 dollars himself bernie sanders okay more than two-thirds of voters indicate they support the plan after hearing basic information and support extends across the state and across the ideological spectrum mm-hmm. the survey talked to 500 likely november 2020 voters in illinois from may 2nd through sixth there's a four percent margin of error here Mm -hmm. the poll memo shows that 68 percent of likely white voters surveyed said that they support what pritzker calls the fair tax 68 percent of uh, white voters that 68 percent of white voters of all ages or 68 percent who are 55 or older uh let's go back here uh the new poll commission of gop women not i would assume 55 and older okay 68 percent of white people above the age of 55 and then the other part of that uh is very important is that when given proper information this will come down okay this will be an epic battle in which people who are against the fair tax will be flooding, I mean flooding the airwaves with disinformation to, to, to dissuade you from it. Uh, and the other side will be flooding the airwaves with information to get you to vote for it. Uh, just remember this, folks. A fair tax is an attempt uh, to alter the system we have now where everybody pays the same rate. Uh, J.B. Pritzker pays at the same uh, rate of 4.95% on his taxes. Dr. D. pays the same rate of 4.95% in his, of his taxes, even though J.B. Pritzker makes a lot more money than Dr. D. Is that fair? I don't think so. So it's going. that's the key, D., um, when people are told about it, if you just tell them off the bat, are you in favor of a tax hike? Leading people to think that it's a tax hike from them, they probably say, no, I'm against it. But if you tell them, are you in favor of a tax hike on the Bruce Rounders of the world and while you get a tax break? Yeah, I'm a, fa- a favor of that, sure. So I guess it's all how you uh, phrase it. All right, so 68% of likely white voters surveyed said that they support what Pritzker calls the fair tax. 27% oppose. Mm-hmm. Among African Americans, 79% support and 17% oppose. Wait, hold on. I'm writing this down. Yep, yep. And, and, and this is still over the age of 55, or yeah. is this just. I would assume it. so. Right. Among African Americans, 79% support and 17% oppose. Okay. Among Latinos, 76% support. And 17% oppose. All right. Yep. The the polls show the tax has 67% support among white college grads and 68% support among whites without four-year college degrees. Same. It's virtually, it's the same. 67 and 67. All around. It doesn't matter if you have a college degree or don't have a college degree, huh? So, yeah, I assume so. So, Bendrowski, the question here, I asked this a while back. I'll ask you again. Will JB Tick uh, Titzkers? I keep wanting to Whoa, call him. Whoa, dude! Come so on I'm now. Sorry, guys. Will JB Pritzker's fair tax legislation? <laughs> 
pass the House. Yes, it'll pass the House. Uh, that I think that is clear. He'll, he'll round up enough uh, Democrats. Again, no Republicans. What a party, folks. They are just so absent of anything, any kind of fight that matters. By the way, speaking of bonuses, we'll have two longtime Republicans in this studio to talk about the changes they've seen in their party over the years. That'll be very interesting. That'll be Sunday's special bonus. Uh, but uh, back to uh, yeah, the, the House. Uh, again, there will be no Republican support for this. Republicans party chickens. They do whatever Donald Trump tells them. Uh, worse than anything I've seen in rubber stamping city council, because even in the city council, you always had like you know at least five independent aldermen who would dare to defy whatever stupid idea the mayor was coming up with. Uh, but um, anyway, so uh, going back to the House, yes, to answer your question, but the real question is, will the voters ratify it? Because folks, if the House this is uh, if the House votes for the fair tax, that just means they're putting the question on the ballot, and you, the people, will ultimately make the decision. So there you are. Just like that, you're now in the know of what's going on in Chicago and or Illinois. Oh, we got some live stream chatters weighing in here. Kyle said, I also voted for Bob Diber in the primary based on Ben's article in the reader. Oh, thank you, Kyle. And I, I should have followed my own advice. <laughs> uh, th- this gets down to the issue uh, that we were talking about, about whether, whether uh, Trump voters will vote for or support the fair tax. And the issue that Bob Diver raised, in all seriousness, Bob Diver, the downstate Democrat, was uh, that Democrat, progressive Democratic values will sell among downstate Trump voters. And uh, he promoted that idea throughout the entire campaign. He ended up getting, what, 2% of the vote or something like that, including Kyle's and Dennis's vote. And I let somebody talk me into voting for Dan Biss. Uh, and I regret not voting for Diver. And shout out to a reoccurring guest on the Ben Jarofsky show, Dan Pogoshelsky. He also voted for Bob Diver. D- Danny did? Yeah. Has he gone public with that? He's told you like three times. Oh, I can't remember anything, you know. Uh, you know, it's all that marijuana I smoked in the 70s. It's catching up with me, man. But there you are. Just like that, you're now in the know of what's going on in Illinois. And now you will have an answer the next time someone asks you. Hey, what else is news? Yeah, let me tell you something that Jim Lewis... Well, we got to get down to business. <laughs> that's Diver. That's my guy. I'm going to tell you something that Jim Lewis, our next guest. Uh, Jimbo Covert, he used to play tackle for the Bears. Oh. And Jim Brooks, a kid I went to college with. All agree. Hey, Jim. You did a great job. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. We got Jim Lewis sitting on deck. He's going to come on when we return from this break. Today's Ben Jaromsky Show was brought to you in part by Chicago Architecture Center. Discover the breadth and majesty of Chicago's architecture on a Chicago Architecture Center bus tour. From bungalows to Bauhaus, our expert docents will share the fascinating stories behind our city's architecture. Book your tour at architecture.org slash tours. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm actually on a bus tour right now. Oh, my. Look at that wonderful piece of architecture. Hey, everybody, what you're about to hear are the piano stylings of Jeff Manuel. Man, listen to Jeff go. Jeff Manuel has been playing piano around Chicago for years. He's played for conventions, for celebrities, played in basement bars with blues bands. He's played at prestigious social clubs, fine restaurants, and in the intimacy of private homes. Book Jeff Manuel at jeffemanuelpianist.com. Don't worry, I'll spell his name at the end of this commercial. You know what Chicago Magazine said? They said that Jeff Manuel is, quote, as comfortable 
of Chopin as he is with Cole Porter. He's excellent and his performance is joyous. He offers an elegant stream of compositions and interpretations that entertains the mind but won't hurt the ears. To hear more of Jeff Manuel's work and to book Jeff for your next event, go to jeffmanuelpianist.com. I'm going to spell it out for you people. J E F F M as in Mary, A N as in Nancy, U E L P I A N I S T.com. Take it away, Jeff Manuel. Cirque du Soleil's Big Top comes back to Chicago with its latest show, Volta. Venture into a captivating voyage of discovery inspired by the adventurous spirit of freedom where a surge of action sparks a high-voltage journey. Volta. Playing May 18th through July 6th under the Big Top at Soldier Field. Tickets at CirqueDuSoleil.com. Volta thanks their partners Hennessy Black and Champagne Nicolas Fayette. Hey, commercial break over. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Yes, indeed. We are back. Uh, my guest is Jim Lewis. And um, for many, many years, uh, I have uh, followed up every election that we've had in the city of Chicago by doing a deep dive as soon as the Board of Election comes out with the uh, ward by ward, precinct by precinct breakdown of votes. I do a deep dive trying to figure out who voted for whom and what the voting patterns are. and What does it say about where we are as a people? What does it say about race relations, ethnic relations, etc. and so forth? I would write it for the reader. This really geeky, nerdy deep dive uh, into voting patterns. Um, somebody has outdone me in this particular <laughs> case. Jim Lewis, senior researcher at the University of Illinois right here in Chicago. I used to call it Circle Campus, but it's UIC. Uh, Jim, first of all, welcome to the show. Great job on your report. Thanks. And, uh, Great to be here. And um, all right, so this is a report. I, is it uh, available for the general public yet? Uh, I don't know if it's posted yet, but it certainly will be. All right, it certainly will be. Yeah. So just explain to folks that you're not just some flake, uh, that you actually have some credibility and uh, you've been at this game for a while. Just give people a little a sense of who you are and where you come from in terms of your uh, background. Well, I've been uh, working around Chicago in the political, and I, I think of myself as doing research, quote, for the movement. I uh, spent 10 years at the Urban League, spent 10 years at Roosevelt University. I uh, did spend 10 years with a foundation, and uh, and now I'm sort of a freelancer, but uh, work work at, at the university. Well, a lot of your work is with uh, Rob Perrell, who's mm -hmm. a demographer, an extraordinarily talented young man. And Rob, if you're listening, I'm going to get you on this show, so no more ducking and diving. You're going to come <laughs> on. Uh, Rob's special interest is population changes in the city of Chicago yeah. uh, and in the entire state of Illinois, actually. And we'll get into that a little bit, as long as I have you yeah, in here. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but before we do that, all right, so uh, that's your background, and uh, so let's in most general way uh, tell folks what you set out to do with your investigation of voting behavior in these last mayoral elections well what I wanted to do was was 
sort of sort of as you were saying in your introductory remarks, kind of take the temperature again after this election on where we were with willingness of people of different racial ethnic groups to vote for candidates that may not speak their language or look like they do. Mm-hmm. And so that, that was a principal thing. And then the second thing I was trying to understand a little better was just what the nature of the Lightfoot blowout victory really was mm-hmm. and whether that the it, it was presented, uh, I think, across the media as this as a victory for reform, and that 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 um, that change was what people were voting for. Um, I think partly because of the size of the victory, mm-hmm. but it did prevent, present a very unusual set of candidates, maybe unprecedented um, in American politics, even for a large city. I'm sure unprecedented in a large city where two black women. Uh, we're going up against each other in the election. Mm -hmm. And so I found myself wondering if there are other dynamics in play rather than a simple vote for reform. And I think when you look at the, as we'll talk about, when you look at the actual precinct data and and who those people are and and where they are, uh, it does suggest that that while reform may have been important, I don't think it was the only thing going on. All right, and uh, as always, I, I advise anybody discussing, thinking, writing, whatever about Chicago politics. Never, ever, ever use the word reform in regards to anything. Well, I broaden it to Illinois as well. Reform is such a a misused, overused, exploited, distorted word. Uh, It's intended to put a positive spin on whatever the mayor or the governor or the alderman are up to. But uh, I understand what you get. It can be. I mean, there's going to be some changes, I'm sure. And there's no doubt in my mind that that Lori Lightfoot believes in that stuff and is going to try to move on some things. But that's different from saying every voter was thinking yes, that way it, when they when they voted for her. And that's that's where I do have some questions. I and think and some, it also is different than this is a, a larger philosophical question. Like there's an like there's this abstract notion of what reform is. Like it's an objective mm-hmm. thing, a reality. Like I always say, the sun rises in the east. We all know that. But is everybody's definition of reform, what constitutes reform, actually what a change for the better? Do you follow what I'm right. saying? Right. And and the idea of reform isn't the same for people. Uh, just, I, I spent a lot of time working in schools uh, earlier in my career, and for some, moving to an all-charter school system is their idea of reform. Yes. And for others, getting rid of all of those people who are trying to get more charters into the system is their idea. Yes, absolutely. So it, it, it is absolutely, you know, where you stand is where you sit and versa, vice versa. Absolutely. The notion that we're, quote-unquote, reforming education by uh, making it more difficult for teachers to collective, collectively bargain for a raise yeah, is exactly. a very interesting interpretation of reform. Uh, anyway, all right, let's put that aside. Let's get down to business of what you did. So you're trying to see what was sort of motivating voters at this mm-hmm. last election. And you started with the first round. Yes. Uh, so before we got to Tony versus Lori, uh, the first round, and this is table four. I have my cheat sheet uh-huh. here. I printed it out. Uh, table four, candidate vote totals in Chicago precincts composed 90% of a single racial ethnic group. Now, first of all, explain how you got, you were able to distinguish precincts by 90%, uh, you know, how you figured that out, that they were like 90% white or black, et cetera. Well, essentially we did um, did some manipulation of the census data that allows, it, the, the, the US census data has um, population information in it about the race and ethnicity of people. It's collected at the block level. Uh, we made some estimates based on change during the decade and then 
aligned those blocks with the precincts. Mm-hmm. And so from that, we're able to have a pretty good idea. It's, pro- it's not perfect, it's an estimate at the very end of the day, but it's a pretty good one um, of, of what the, the racial ethnic background of an individual precinct is. And so the, the entire paper is based on analysis from that database. And uh, so what did you find? Uh, what were some of the big conclusions you, you reached in regards to the first election in February when, when you're breaking out the racial behavior, the behavior of voters by race? Well, the, 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 I, I was setting out to try to make sense of all of those candidates. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the hypothesis, sort of the null hypothesis that was not confirmed in my mind uh, was that each of those candidates represented a different policy position mm-hmm. that might appeal to different types of people. So I, I ran a, a fairly sophisticated statistical test um, that groups different candidates um, according to how much they aligned in the votes of individual precincts, Mm -hmm. which precincts tended to vote for certain types of candidates in common. And not entirely to my surprise, um, but it turned out that there were three types of precincts in Chicago. One type tended to vote for the Latino candidates and a couple of others. Another type of precinct tended to vote for the black candidates um, and almost none of the others. And a third type voted for the white candidates. Mm-hmm. And so this this occurred at a at a degree of certainty that was much stronger than any of their political positions possibly could have been that they would align that well. So it became clear to me that that while um, we have made progress in this city uh, that there was there was an underlying willingness or need for individual, a lot of individuals in Chicago mm-hmm. um, to vote for someone that looked like them or choose among people who looked like them. And I'm sure absolutely every person, I, I actually, let me, many of the people would say, in a million years, I do not vote uh, for somebody by based on the color of his or her skin or their ethnic background. I, I would guess you, I would guess that would be what they would say. Ah, I'm uh, unbiased. Uh, <laughs> I have no prejudice. I just I look and study their position papers, and that's uh, what gets you know determines sure, my sure. voting trend. And and yet, um, okay, how many? There were fourteen candidates. Mm-hmm. I want to say uh, in that race, uh, including Lori Lightfoot and Tony mm-hmm. Preckwinkle. I'm just doing this off the top of my head. It's been a while. <laughs> uh, Gary Chico was in the race. He was Hispanic. Uh, Mendoza was Susanna Mendoza Hispanic. was in the race. Paul Paul Vallis was in the race. Uh, Good God, it's it's really taxing my memory here. But anyway, all right. Every all-star in Chicago politics over the last 20 years yeah. was in there. Uh, yes. <clears throat> all right. And somehow or other, 90% in, in precincts where it was 90% white, 63.5% of the vote went to a white candidate. That's right. What do you make of that? Well, not an accident. Um, I, I think it's. I think the there is a degree to which I think race does um, align with policy, or at least it could in people's minds. Mm-hmm. That um, that it, it may have been viewed that African American candidates might devote more resource towards African American neighborhoods mm-hmm. and away from downtown. And understandably, someone who lived on the far northwest or the far southwest side may not think that was where it should go. Um, so there, there is that alignment that goes beyond, I just won't vote for mm-hmm. a white person or I just won't vote for a black person. Um, but I don't, I don't think that was strong enough to produce such a pronounced, um, pronounced trend. 
And uh, so then we get to uh, uh, in in African-American precincts where there are 90 percent, at least 90 percent African-American people in these precincts. So uh, what we call black precincts, 14.2 percent voted for white candidates in February. So the overwhelmingly black precincts of Chicago, 14.2 percent. Um, how do you put that, you know, in terms of the his, the history, you worked for the Urban League for many yeah. years, the history of race relations and politics in the sh- city of Chicago, what do you make of that? Well, I, I, I think African Americans um, have, have been hungering, not, not everyone, I, I, it's always tricky to talk about these things because there are exceptions and people aren't all the same, but I think a lot of people in the African American community have wanted another African American mayor. And I think given a lot of what takes place in Chicago, whether it's allocation of resources or the police issues, there is a lot of lack of trust across racial groups. Um, you know, I've, I've lived and worked in a lot of different settings. Um, I wish it weren't true, um, but I think it is, um, that there's, there's a lot of mistrust. And mm-hmm. certainly the police will tell you about that, about their trouble clearing cases and all of that. But there is mistrust, and I think it gets reflected in, in people's people's voting choices. And so, yeah, so 80%, um, by our calculations, 80% of African Americans vote for African American candidates. And then we get to Hispanic precincts, roughly 27% uh, voted for white candidates, and uh, 49% roughly voted for Hispanic candidates candidates yeah not not as strong and I, part part of this is part of that finding is probably statistical artifact a little bit mm-hmm. in that there were only two latino candidates so um there wasn't quite as much choice to vote yeah. for them and i've i've wondered if uh, if uh, Tui garcia had been in the race whether this figure would have the latino voting for latino yeah. would have gone a lot higher um, but he wasn't um, and I, I think in general, um, Latinos have been a little bit, if you just look at the history of Chicago politics and alignments, um, they have tended to be kind of a swing constituency in a mm-hmm. way. Uh, a lot of Chicago politics to this point has been defined by an African-American interest or a white interest, a downtown interest, or I think what's played out as a West Side or South Side neighborhood interest. Mm-hmm. And so Latinos have been in positions to to kind of weigh in on one side or the other, but haven't, until recently, haven't had the numbers um, to really call their own shot. And so, mm-hmm. consequently, I, I think, and for other reasons as well, uh, around identity, I think there's more of a tendency um, for Latino voters to, to cross. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I and traditionally, not just in terms of voting patterns, but just in terms of uh, residential patterns, in the 60s, you know, this in the 60s and the 70s, there was white flight, uh, in, in areas that were predominantly white when the black uh, first black residents moved in. You don't see that kind of panic when Hispanic residents right. move in. Traditionally, this, this, that's just basic history in the city of Chicago residential patterns. So that's sort of a role that Hispanics have played uh, in the city of Chicago. And uh, yeah, I know this is so interesting because I'm trying to think there was Susanna Mendoza and Gary Chico were both part of uh, the larger Democratic I hesitate to use the word machine because it's such a bad word with connotations, but organization. Yeah. They both owe uh, their um, their careers to uh, their alliances with uh, powerful machine politicians, be it Michael Madigan or Ed Burke or uh, Richie Daly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and yet they're viewed 
more. 48% of Hispanic votes went for Susana Mendoza uh, or uh, Gary Chico, and they didn't vote for the white guys in many cases who were part of the same organization and operation. They saw a mm-hmm. distinction, even though there's no policy distinction, if right. you will. Yeah, ex- exactly. And I, I think that would be my point is that, yeah, the identity um, can be different. And I, I think the this is just a whole other conversation that we can have someday. But I, I think the, um, the, the identity between um, a people whose, whose history goes back 300 years mm-hmm. and includes all of the civil rights battles is different from the identity of people who are often here in their first generation and trying to make a place. And while they may encounter some discrimination, they don't have the history that African Americans have had in this country, and I think it plays out out differently in um, in integrated neighborhoods, and then consequently the other way being accepted um, too, because mm-hmm. African Americans obviously have a long history of exclusion. Uh, and then finally, we get to the uh, the April election, mm-hmm. and this is very interesting. Um, you take again, you take a look at the the precincts that are. Heavily segregated, one race or the other, one ethnic group or the other. Again, either mostly white, mostly black, or mostly Hispanic. Uh, no, <laughs> you couldn't vote unless you were a, a black person in the city. You had to vote for somebody of a different race or different ethnic yes. group. Uh, that's just that's the way it went. All right, and so you had two black women. Uh, and what were your findings when you when you, when you uh, came down to, for instance, the white precincts? Well, yeah, I think there were two things that were were important to notice. Um, one, and most obviously, um, everywhere, um, they preferred Lori Lightfoot mm-hmm. to Tony Preckwinkle in just about every instance. And I think the second uh, factor, which is equally important but in a different way, is that um, particularly in white and Latino uh, precincts, there was a drop-off um, in voting in the runoff mm-hmm. that did not occur in, um, in the African-American ones the same way. And so I, I can't help but think um, that um, a lot of people just didn't find either candidate acceptable and chose not to choose between them. Did, was there an increase in voter turnout in the black precincts? Uh, it was about the same. The estimates would leave it at about the same, mm-hmm. I would say. Well, it's really difficult to, to get into the minds of any voter, particularly a Chicago voter, but uh, try to do so uh, if you can, Jim. What what do you think was the motivating reason why people, let's say, in the white precincts went for Lightfoot over Preckwinkle? Well, I, I think the... Um I think she appeared to be more mainstream. And if I were a white voter, I would be thinking, this person has not been involved in the city council battles over 25 years or so. I mean, Lightfoot, you mean? Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas her opponent was. Mm-hmm. And while she was an independent, she was a strong member of the African-American caucus on a lot of issues. Um, and if I were a white voter, I would be... I would be thinking she might be more um, amenable to, to what I'm inter- what I'm interested in, more likely to send resources um, to the communities that I live in. It depends on what kind of a white voter you are, too. There's, I think, a difference between um, the the lakefront, the North Lakefront white group, and then the far northwest and far southwest side sociologically. Um, one is, yeah, they're just they're just very different. Um, and so I suspect they would think about it differently as well. But then I think there were others, and the evidence um, evidence strongly suggests it, um, who something in them, something inside them said, you know, neither one of these people really represents who I am, and I don't want to cast a vote mm-hmm. for either of them. And so I'm just not going to vote. 
and then uh, in in, in uh, black precincts, overwhelmingly black precincts, roughly 68% of the vote went for Lightfoot, 32% went mm-hmm. for Preckwinkle. Uh, it's a little down from the white war, mm-hmm. white precincts, it was 81% for uh, Lightfoot, it's 68% for right. Preckwinkle. So it's uh, 13% swing. Well, she certainly had better roots Mm-hmm. She she certainly had better roots in the African American wards and precincts than she did in the white or La, Tony Preckwinkle, white and Latino. But I think the um, I think the soda tax thing probably um, hurt her there because she got. While I I was a supporter of it actually because I tend to be kind of a green and I I think people should drink less sugar water. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think that was the view on the street everywhere. Yeah. Wait, Tim, did you say and you're a green, G-R-E-E-N, green? To, like, to a point. Okay, that's okay. No, I just wanted to make sure I understood what you were saying. Well, there were problems with the soda pop so tax. I thought it wasn't a bad idea, personally, as yeah. a policy matter, or as a public health matter. Well, as matter, a public health but, matter. But it, it didn't go over well on the street. No. And then there was yeah. uh, a very well-funded campaign by Big Soda. Uh, sure, to, sure, she, sure, sure, sure. Uh, that, I, I don't know how strong the big the soda campaign was uh, for uh, working against Preckwinkle because my sense of it, we talked a lot about it at the time, was that um, in the white areas on the north side, it, the soda pop tax wasn't unpopular. Uh, from People could explain in terms of a health matter, like it was a deterrence to keep people from drinking soda. The problem was that Tony Preckwinkle unveiled it as a financial matter, mm-hmm. a way to raise taxes to pay bills. You can't have it two ways. It can't be a deterrence, uh, in which case you don't want people to pay the tax because they're not buying it, and say it's for financial reasons. You want people to continue to buy soda so that you can raise money to pay for government. Do you follow what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so they, she, I, I, so I have no idea how much of a, a role that played. My guess is, and get your reaction to this, Jim, uh, is that the way Tony Preckwinkle ran her campaign, uh, it in, in many ways, it fell into sort of conventional uh, race campaigns where black, black, black politicians down through the years were, but there was the Bobby Rush um, mm-hmm. comment at the at the rally uh, where Bobby Rush, the Congressman Bobby Rush said that if you vote for uh, Lori Lightfoot, the, the blood will be on your hands if any uh, black uh person is killed or any any person is killed by a cop mm-hmm. which is pretty inflammatory rhetoric uh so i guess i guess it's turned off white people didn't play very well in the black community either yeah i, I think that's probably right and, and again that the community has changed too uh it's all of chicago is very different than it was in 1983 and 1987 well, let's get to that. 1983. Uh, you, were you in Chicago in 1983? Absolutely. All right. 1983, uh, Harold Washington. We had a different system. We had a, a primary system. So Harold was the Democrat running against Bernie Epton, who was the Republican. It was the, one of the most racially inflammatory campaigns I've ever experienced. Uh, and Harold won by virtue of the fact that he got... I want to say 99% of the black vote. Uh, that may be exaggeration, but he got almost all it of it. It was very close to all of it. Yeah, all of it. And uh, Bernie Epton almost won because he got 90% in many of these white wars. Mm-hmm. So what has changed in Chicago since 1983? I think, well, I think, I think a number of things have. Um, I think conditions uh, in African-American communities actually have improved a lot. Mm-hmm. And I think with that has come greater ownership and buy-in just to the um, to the, the city as a whole and less uh, isolation. And I think I think those things do matter. 
Um, it's not to say there aren't you know significant problems still in African American communities, um, but I think it's I think it's better. And then I think the Af- African American community, for its part, um, has not had as many leadership organizations. Um, as perhaps it did um, at the time. It's not as well organized politically as, as a group. Um, and I, I think daily, um, w- daily was very, very successful. Uh, um, former mayor uh, Richard second, M. Daly, yeah, yeah, baby Daly. Daly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, well, I think he was very successful in making, forging alliances um, in the African-American communities. Um, and I, I think that has has taken you know inch by inch taken some out, so the punch out of the idea that we have to have a- African American um, leadership in the city, and then since then there have been an awful lot of African Americans elected to, to statewide offices and countywide office, and I think the idea that we're completely shut out of politics is, is just different now uh, well, than it was at the time. All right, so that uh, explains uh, from the black perspective. Uh, the white perspective, again, in 1983, 90%. If you looked at wards, precincts, 90% white precincts, mm-hmm. you would have seen at least, I'm doing this from memory, 90% voter turnout, voter mm-hmm. for Bernie Epton, the white guy, yeah. the white Republican. Even though many of these people are Democrats, they voted for the white guy. Yeah. Uh, now what we're seeing, 81, well, they didn't have a choice, but 81, <laughs> they all voted for, <laughs> they didn't have any choice, poor white people. Uh, but uh, anyway, even uh, in uh, 23%, voted in the in the first go around they had they could have voted for any number of white people yeah. but 23% voted for uh, a black candidate either Lori Lightfoot or Tony Preckwinkle or Willie Wilson um, and yeah. uh, so what do you make of that well I, I I think a couple of things just if you look at it in what I would say is a pretty long view um, the first when when Washington was elected and was mayor the, the sky didn't fall mm-hmm. uh, and I think the fact that it didn't you know made a big difference um, and that's, I, I think we've seen that play out in presidential politics too, mm-hmm. to a certain degree with so many African-American candidates now at the national level. And it's, it's just not the same quote, sort of novelty or, or whatever that it was the first time around. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that. And then the second one, um, which I think gets underappreciated in understandings of politics and, and policy in general is that we're a generation removed now um, from that time, mm-hmm. and we have a, we have um, a, the, a lot of people who were fifty then um, or older, um, and who may have have who did many of them have much much closer ties to the original ethnic immigrants. Mm-hmm. They were there may or there may have been grandparents still voting who um, had grown up in the old country. Um, that is much less true now. And so the white people in Chicago as a whole are not, not exactly the same as the white people who um, supported Edward Doliak and Epton and the Burke of the time and Mel and, and those people um, who were the, the ones jumping on the table. and you know, be, Richard Mel. Yeah, uh, be upset about all that stuff. It's, it's, the generations change. Well, I remember when Harold ran uh, the first time. Uh, Mike Rakel, the columnist, wrote a column, a very funny column. that goes, uh, say, white people... Uh, the uh, with John Hancock building or Sears Tower, I can't remember which building he cited, will not jump into the lake if Harold Washington is elected mayor. So right. trying to chill him out a little bit. Right. Uh, so the sky did not fall. And yet, think about the gradual change, uh, Jim, that we've seen. In 83, 
uh, Harold, the white people voted overwhelmingly against Harold. In 87, when he ran for re-election, they voted overwhelmingly uh, against Harold again. Mm -hmm. The difference was that fewer of them voted, Mm -hmm. and that was considered (laughs) by Chicago standards. That was considered an improvement. You follow what I'm saying? An expression of tolerance. They didn't vote. And uh, so I guess things are really uh, incremental, to use a favorite word around here, incremental change in the city of Chicago. Sure. But, you know, I, whites, whites voted for Barack Obama. They, they voted for uh, Jesse White. They voted for a lot of people over and over now. And it's, uh, it's just not as troubling as it once was. I will uh, present this irony to you before we go to break. Uh, Whites voted for uh, Lori Lightfoot over Tony Perkwinkle, but in 2010, I think I told you this on the phone, if you take the deep dive, you'll see in her, uh, Tony Perkwinkle's first race for county board president in the primary, she was well-received in uh, white areas uh, on the northwest side Mm -hmm. and the southwest side, definitely the northwest side, uh, where she was drubbed. Uh, in the in the um, uh, in the mayor's race, so somehow or other, attitudes toward Tony Preckwinkle changed drastically just in eight years. I think they did. Although I, I would draw a distinction there, um, in that in the in the county board race, she is running against a partisan Republican. No, I'm talking about in the Democratic primary oh, in 2010, pro- yeah. which she was okay. running. Right, she was right. one of three black candidates running yes. against a single white man. I think it was Terrence O'Brien was the one white guy. And everybody, yeah. all the, the know-it-alls, the blacks will all split up their vote. The whites will go for O'Brien. He'll win. And guess what? Tony Preckwick will beat O'Brien right. in many white areas. Yeah. So that's the she was the recipient of the Lori Lightfoot vote mm-hmm. in 2010. Mm-hmm. And then it went against her yeah. uh, just eight years later. Jim Lewis is my guest. He's a senior researcher at the University of Illinois. Illinois, right here in the city of Chicago, we're talking about. We just were talking about his study on voting uh, trends in this last election. I'm going to ask him a question too about demographics when we return. Hey there, producer Dennis here. Thanks for finding and listening to the brand new Ben Jarofsky Show. All right, so here's how this works. The Ben Jarofsky Show live streams on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m. Once the show is over, you can listen to the replay on our YouTube channel, or we throw it online for you to download by 4 p.m. Where can you download the Ben Jarofsky Show, you may be asking yourself? Well, you may be asking yourself a fantastic question. You can find previous Ben Jarofsky shows and guest interviews through several outlets. The Chicago Sun-Times online, chicago.suntimes.com. The Chicago Reader Online, chicagoreader.com, and wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, pick one. Just search for The Ben Jarovsky Show. J-O-R-A. V as in victory, S-K-Y. So, let's recap. Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m., live streamed on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel and downloadable by 4 at chicago.suntimes.com, chicagoreader.com, and wherever else you listen to your favorite podcast. Yes, the Ben Jarofsky Show is back. We're live and downloaded. Tell your friends and enjoy the rest of the show.
It's Chicagoland's Adult Entertainment Playground. It's the world-famous Admiral Theater, 3940 West Lawrence Avenue. The Admiral is homegrown from Chicago, and it's the most conveniently located club in all of the city. 15 minutes from the O'Hare Airport in downtown Chicago Loop. Voted Chicago's best strip club, the Admiral has showgirls galore and a variety of adult entertainment shows. The world-famous Admiral Theater, open every day from 7 p.m. to 6 a.m., 3940 West Lawrence Avenue. For events, showtime, and other information, visit AdmiralX.com. Must be 18 years of age or older to enter. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture. Food. Arts and entertainment. Weekly concert listings. Weekly event listings. The environment. Travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader. Free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. All right, everybody, hour number two of your Ben Jarofsky show for Thursday, May 23rd is moments away. But before we go any further, we'd like to thank the following unions once again for jumping on board and helping bring back the Ben Jarofsky show. First up, the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, and the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150. Thank you once again to those unions for jumping on board and helping bring back the Ben Jarofsky Show. Couldn't have done it without you. And, of course, today's program is brought to you by our friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. Hour number two, let's go. It is Thursday, May 23rd, and live from the Chicago Sun-Times, Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. In this hour of the program, we still got political scientist Jim Lewis in studio. That means the meanest arm twister in all of podcasting still got it. And we welcome the movie man. Director Chris Buddy. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist, Benny J. Benjarovsky. Jim Lewis in the studio with me. We're going to talk about this headline, this uh, story, the headline, As Chicago Loses Soul, Houston, a Problem. Uh, Houston, a problem. It's a, a pun in the Chicago Tribune. I'm not sure what the problem is if Chicago is no longer number three, but uh, we'll get into some of these demographic tr- uh, trends with Jim Lewis. Before I do that, do you got an update for me? Absolutely. Houston, a problem, huh? Is that what you said the headline was? Yeah, that's uh, you, you, All you, right. He's, uh, we, today's show is brought to you by headlines. Earlier in the program, you mentioned that Cockadoodle Don't yeah. <laughs> was a great headline. It ben Jarofsky, which one is better? Cockadoodle Don't? Oh, come or on. Houston, a problem. <laughs> Cockadoodle, don't, Jim. I don't know if you saw this. I don't know if you're a Sun-Times reader. Uh, the picture of the rooster. There's somebody is, uh, there's some uh, politician trying to ban roosters in suburban Cook County. And the headline, Cockadoodle, don't. Yeah, pretty clever, huh? This sounds good. Uh, <laughs> Cockadoodle, don't. Come on, Tribune, step it up. Oh, no, come on. Tri- so, no, listen. Sorry, guys. I know I'm biased because I love my beloved Bright One and have been a subscriber since the 80s. But when it comes to headlines... Hands down, the Sun-Times annihilates the Tribune day after day. Hey, uh, find us on uh, social media if you've yet to, if you're listening live or on the download. Benny J Show, at Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show. We haven't done this in a while. Ben, spell that last name for him. J-O-R-A-V-S-K-Y. Hey! 
I got a name card here. There you go. All Show right. those listeners that <laughs> From piece yesterday's of paper with your name on it. City Club. City Club. They gave me this name card. I'm like, oh, if I ever, you know, forget how to spell my name, and spelling is an issue for me in general, I got it right here. So there you go. No excuse for misspelling my there name. There you go. J O R A V is in victory. S K Y. Uh, send us a, give us a like, follow, share, review, whatever you want to do on Facebook and Twitter. Just a quick update here. Our next caption contest uh, we're going to have when we hit 1,500 likes. Likes. Right now on the Ben Jarofsky Show Facebook page, we have 1,450, 6, 1,456 likes. So we got a bit of ways to go. So tell your friends, head over to the Ben Jarofsky Show Facebook page, give us a like. And as soon as we hit 1,500 likes, we will have a caption contest. I believe it's going to be a JB Pritzker oh, caption okay. contest. Yeah, we haven't done that in a while. And speaking of JB Pritzker, coming up a little later. Well, more Pritzker pushback from Illinois conservatives and the, our good friends at the Illinois Policy <laughs> oh, Institute. God, yeah, our good friends, right. Yeah. Coming up a little later, we're going right. to discuss what's going on with that. All right, very good. All right, Jim Lewis, uh, the, the headline, as I said, as Chicago loses souls, Houston a problem. That's a joke, of course. You know, Houston, we have a problem. Anyway, the Chicago yeah. Tribune, uh, trying to be funny there. Uh, and uh, I don't see it particularly as a problem, although I understand when I, when I was a kid growing up, Chicago was the second city. New York was the the biggest city in the country right. in terms of population. Sure. Chicago was second. And at some point, I can't remember when L.A. overtook us. Uh-huh. And we were the third city. Uh, and um, and now it suddenly looks like Houston is creeping up. So let's, Houston's now number four. Chicago's at 2.7 uh, million and uh, Houston's at 2.3 million. If the population trends continue, Houston will uh, pass us, according to the Tribune. Uh, so what's going on here in terms of population? Well, I, I would just respond. I have a quick note on that mm-hmm. with the words someday. Uh, closing a 400,000 person population gap is a really, really tall order. Partly because we would have to keep losing at the same rate and they would have to keep gaining at the same rate. And that's not, changes of that magnitude um, take decades. Uh, so I, I wouldn't worry just yet. <laughs> if we're worried at all. But, yeah, again. Wait a minute. Distortion by the Tribune headline writers? Well, the, the, the issue is obviously much more about what the terrain of our city is. Mm-hmm. Whether It doesn't really matter what San Francisco's rank. I think they're doing pretty well. They're not in the top four. Um, the same could be said of any number of other places. So the the... The the region matters more than the city, mm-hmm. and I think the region's pretty helpful. The uh, the the census data did uh, document some population losses um, across the region, but I think the region's doing pretty good. Why do you say the region and, matters more than the city? Well, be, because the there there's connection between jobs and where people live, and they don't stay within municipal lines, and so our overall the overall economy of the region is. For there, there's obviously tax issues and property tax and stuff like that. The schools that are divided up by municipalities and and, and more local places. Mm-hmm. But I think the single most important thing is the economic health of the entire place. And so for that, I would look to the region. We obviously have problems to solve around around city budgets and CPS budgets and stuff like that. That's very much tied to um, the municipality. But in in terms of the of the population changes, I think again the terrain of the city is most important. And it, it's it's one thing if it, it, it matters whether you're losing lots of poor people, whether you're losing rich people, whether you're losing families, whether you're losing singles. Um, to some degree, um, the 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 uh, demography matters of um, you know who is passing and who is being born. Those are all things that kind of go into it. 
Um, but I, th I think what's problematic is if we have neighborhoods that are just completely deserted um, eventually, that there's just no way to rehabilitate um, or to make prosperous again, that's a problem for everyone. And when you have neighborhoods that are in steep decline that are clearly on that trajectory and there are people who still live there and don't see much hope for the future, then that fuels the crime problem well, to a high the, degree. The vast majority of the homicides mm -hmm. that take place in the city take places in the areas that we call um, um, having been um, uh, undivested um, and where there's a, just a great deal of poverty. So that's where the population loss, I think, matters the most to me. Now, when, whenever we see articles like this, they come out all the time. Mm -hmm. This is a particular obsession of many writers, uh, myself included. I must admit, I'm always, maybe I'm driven by such headlines. Mm -hmm. But we've been led to believe that somehow or other there is a crisis uh, in the city of Chicago and a crisis uh, in the, the the state of Illinois because our numbers are falling. Now, I understand there's political ramifications. The fewer people live in Illinois, the fewer mm -hmm. congressmen or congress congressional districts will have. I understand mm -hmm. all that. Uh, so I understand there's political consequences of this. But what, what I never can ascertain uh, from the articles on this subject is what is driving the population loss exactly. There's That's where you get anecdotal. You, have, you go from hard numbers, which nobody disputes to uh, anecdotal well if it really a, breaks down by your political view the tribune will tell you uh, people are leaving because taxes are going up people are leaving because there's too many unions uh you know i would go on the other hand and say uh we don't have enough unions so i guess it's based on your political ideology what's your sense of what's driving the uh, population loss in the city of Chicago? Well, it's, it's not a fun answer because I'm not going to tell you one single thing mm -hmm. that then can be <laughs> argued with. I think, it, I think it's a lot of different things. Uh, I actually think the taxes are um, a, a smaller part of it. I think the overall cost of living is probably very important to a lot of people. Um, I think the climate matters to some people. But you can get just tremendously more house in a warm place where you won't have to pay a heating bill if you're willing to live in San Diego or Phoenix or Atlanta, um, you know, places in the South that are just much, much cheaper um, to live in. San Diego is cheaper to live in Chicago. Well, probably parts of it, but you don't you don't pay a heating bill. Mm -hmm. and, you have to pay for your air conditioning. And the taxes are probably not that that is taxes, yeah. but the cost of living in general, it's not just taxes, mm -hmm. um, are higher across the South. And that's why I, I think um, I think a lot of people have moved there. It has been cheaper for industry, I think, because of labor costs more than probably because of taxes. Um, I, I, I think most studies um, that talk about where businesses locate, um, taxes is on the map, but it's not one of the most important things. Um, having skilled labor is much more important. Being near your market is more important. If you have to move things, being on a transportation hub is more important. If you don't have those things, it doesn't really matter what your taxes are. So they, they're all more important to businesses. One, one of the uh, arguments raised by Chris Kennedy, who was running for governor last year, is that the planning policies uh, instituted by the city of Chicago uh, have... I, I turned it into gentrified the city, made it more mm -hmm. expensive to live in the city, and uh, hastened the departure of middle-class people, working-class people uh, from the city of Chicago. Is, it, is that your sense of things as well? Yes. Uh, if, you've, if you've looked for a house or an apartment anywhere on the north side, you are just shocked now at how, how far out um, gentrification has dispersed. It's really quite amazing how 
um, the the property values. It's the the entire north side of the city now. I I can almost say that categorically is for upwardly mobile professionals. Um, there's some exceptions. Um, not every block is completely changed, but it's absolutely moving that way. And the housing prices are just hugely more than they used to. So that's true. Um, and I, I would say the policies in and around in and around the loop have been d- debated for a long time. You know, first it, it was the the transitions that moved out the garment industries and the printing industries. Um, you know, in the 60s and 70s, and and now it's the it's the the transition from any kind of uh, <laughs> commercial use to residential use. And that that has you know had the effect of, of driving up prices and and making rents utterly unaffordable for um, people in the lower middle class or, or below. Um, although you can still find affordable things on the west and south sides, but because the poverty is so concentrated, it's it's not places you want to live unless you have family connections there. Or well, and and uh, that'll just hasten gentrification in those areas as well as if it's if it's in a place people want to be mm-hmm. in um my my theories of gentrification is that it doesn't just happen anywhere um, but it needs to happen in a, it, it it happens adjacent to amenities um that people like you have to you have to have a reason for for developers to think people would want to live there one day so i don't think the whole city is eventually going to gentrify and that's part of the problem i was saying um earlier when we talked about the population change i think it's very problematic when some parts of the city are doing just phenomenally well, and then other parts are starting to look like Detroit. And that, that's a problem, I think, mm-hmm. that does have to be addressed. Jim, Jim Lewis is my guest. He's a senior researcher at the uh, University of Illinois in Chicago. And uh, I urge everyone to check out, if you, if you want to take a deep dive uh, into voting trends. That's a, we, you can I, reach me at uh, my website, Jim on Chicago. Uh, Jim, say that again. Jim on Chicago. Just uh, type that in and you'll find me. All right. And you can also find this report as well. Yeah, we'll get it up there. All right. Very good. Jim, thanks for coming in. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll take a break and we'll be right back after this. Hey, everybody. What you're about to hear are the piano stylings of Jeff Manuel. Man, listen to Jeff go. Jeff Manuel has been playing piano around Chicago for years. He's played for conventions, for celebrities, played in basement bars with blues bands. He's played at prestigious social clubs, fine restaurants, and in the intimacy of private homes. Book Jeff Manuel at jeffemanuelpianist.com. Don't worry, I'll spell his name at the end of this commercial. You know what Chicago Magazine said? They said that Jeff Manuel is, quote, as comfortable with Chopin as he is with Cole Porter. He's excellent, and his performance is joyous. He offers an elegant stream of compositions and interpretations that entertains the mind, but won't hurt the ears. To hear more of Jeff Manuel's work and to book Jeff for your next event, go to jeffmanuelpianist.com. I'm going to spell it out for you, people. J-E-F-F. M as in Mary, A, N as in Nancy, U, E, L, P, I, A, N, I, S, T, dot com. Take it away, Jeff Manuel. Hey there, producer Dennis here. 
Thanks for finding and listening to the brand new Ben Jarofsky Show. All right, so here's how this works. The Ben Jarofsky Show live streams on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m. Once the show is over, you can listen to the replay on our YouTube channel, or we throw it online for you to download by 4 p.m. Where can you download the Ben Jarofsky Show, you may be asking yourself? Well, you may be asking yourself a fantastic question. You can find previous Ben Jarofsky shows and guest interviews through several outlets. The Chicago Sun-Times Online, chicago.suntimes.com. The Chicago Reader Online, chicagoreader.com, and wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, pick one. Just search for The Ben Jarovsky Show. J-O-R-A. V as in victory, S-K-Y. So, let's recap. Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m., live streamed on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel and downloadable by 4 at chicago.suntimes.com, chicagoreader.com, and wherever else you listen to your favorite podcast. Yes, the Ben Jarofsky Show is back. We're live and downloaded. Tell your friends and enjoy the rest of the show. break over welcome back to the ben jarofsky show live from the chicago sun times yes indeed you probably heard me talk uh dennis talk about brian the brain uh he is the genius behind uh everything technological at the chicago sun times at least from my standpoint brian urs is his name he was in the studio earlier today taking pictures by chance when i was talking about the tremendous the great headline that was in the bright one uh, my sun times home delivered as always oh, he loves this headline guys cock a doodle don't uh the article by rachel hinton about efforts about by a proposal by a Cook County politician to ban uh, roosters in suburban Cook County because they make too much noise in the morning. Uh, and I said, uh, I said that's why you get the Sun-Times as a newspaper, because you have great headlines like that. At which point Dennis said, oh, you can get the same headline on a on their internet. And I'm like, huh, I didn't know what to say, Brian. I'm like, abba 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 uh, And so then I said, Brian, check it out. So uh, Brian, was it the same cockadoodle don't headline? I can confirm it was not. Ah! Damn! <laughs> Damn! All right, go ahead. But it could have been, and that's the cool part about our new website. So on the site, we actually only had County Rooster Band May Ruffle Feathers, okay. which is the SEO-friendly one for all those Google searchers out there. But, Wait, uh, what, was it? what did you call it? SEO? Search Engine Optimization. Ah. Oh, boy. Things <laughs> on the digital side have His to worry about. His brain is exploding right now, people. <laughs> so, okay. So We're going to no- teach you how to do everything on Google right now. All right. So in other words, cockadoodle don't. Uh, which is a great headline, in my humble opinion. Very funny, and and, and prese- particularly the way it's presented with the big picture of the rooster. When I get that picture of that rooster, uh, doesn't work it, it, as effective it as it is as a visual uh, in a newspaper. It doesn't do what you want it to do from a computer standpoint. Explain that. Well, think about it this way: it's we have to worry about two things. One, we have to make sure a headline is accurate and approachable. And we have to make sure people can find it for people who are not on our website. So we're usually using keywords or the main subject of the story or whatever, and we're trying to focus on that first. That's what we used to do. But now with our new website, we are getting options. So we can do 
cockadoodle don't with a big picture of a rooster for when you get to the article. But then we have the option of also using the typical normal headline so other people can find and get to the fun headline. So what's the headline that they used? The headline that they actually used was county rooster ban may ruffle feathers. Oh, well, still fun. Still kind of good. <laughs> still fun. It's not nearly as good as cockadoodle don't, but uh, I get the point. Ruffle feathers. Yeah. yeah so it's it's <laughs> a, it's the same kind of thing like that. But it's just like that's the stuff like you refer to the bright one all the time. We get to do that fun stuff on our cover. The burger stings. The stuff like that. Now the burger we're, sting. We're starting <laughs> remember, to get to yeah. more of that stuff now on our digital presence. All right. Now, so w- explain 101 of digital. Uh, what did you call it? SEO or <laughs> SEO? Yes. Yeah, SEO. So so how is that headline that they came up with today more SEO friendly? Because you have the actual rooster is in the title. If someone is from the area and they know that there's a rooster ban or they heard something, you could type in rooster news and it might even come to us. So everybody who's reported on that, if you're looking for those words, you'll find it. But that's just something that's completely different. The newspaper always used to be everything that goes into it, it goes to your door. You never used to know who was reading what. Now we have to focus on that a little bit more. Who's reading this? Who clicked on a video? Who's watching this? Are people even scrolling down far enough to get to the end of it? Are they only reading the lead? There's so much more analytics and stuff now that we can focus on, which really isn't my department as much, but I do focus on it to see how it will affect some of the things that we do. And uh, so if you do a cockadoodle don't headline uh, on your internet, uh, that won't what trigger responses from computers as to what the story is about so people won't automatically go to it well that's just it if we just typed in cockadoodle don't with absolutely no context <laughs> yeah. and that shows up as a google search result you're gonna be like what the hell is that <laughs> yeah but rooster ban in the title makes sense but because of the new site we've launched with right. vox media you're gonna have options of us to do something like this like you can take a look at our well section today mm-hmm. it's a story about howie mandel but it says on the levels is like the key to get you into it we would be able to now do this uh, for featured articles yeah. on our website that's right howie mandel was in i remember last week what was it last week he was a couple weeks ago he was talking about howie mandel in the building i right, t- tell people a little bit more about the, the new site So, uh, actually, this week, we just launched new well and taste sections as well. Taste being our food, well being wellness of all kinds, Um, financial wellness, exercise wellness, all all the wellness you could have in your life, you're doing that right now. So, Howie, for instance, came in to talk about cholesterol. He's had trouble with it in the past, and he's come in to talk about it with us for an article and a video. Um, But then we also started doing um, a series called Exercise Well, where we actually have a fitness expert come into our studio and show you how to do lunges, which I'll send to you. We will film (laughs) to make sure that you do all your basic lunges correctly. Oh, it's important. You You don't have to pay that guy. He got Ben here. He does (laughs) yoga. He does downward dog and everything. All right. Okay, there we go. Ben doing yoga. Classic. So, I mean, we've done stuff for a while. People have seen um, Jisuki's The Grid that we have on there. We're doing neighborhood stuff. Now we've actually kind of spun that off, and we're also doing The Grid Neighborhood Eats, Mm -hmm. which instead of just focusing on the entire neighborhood, it focuses on one restaurant that everyone goes to from that neighborhood. And and, uh, uh, the the website itself, did you make any uh, significant changes to make it easier to get to navigate it? Uh, Everything is is better now. People who used to get it, most of our viewers are getting it on their phone 
one now. So it's like that's the one place where it needed to be. And some of the people are saying it's even up to five times faster than her old site. Plus, it's better organized. It's clearer. Everything about it is is better. And you can get the Ben Jarosky show on that. Yes, you can. Yeah, I, think I nice felt privileged to have built that page as well. So we're good. Uh, and you are also the man or one of them who built this little studio for us uh, right here, right down the hall from the bathroom. I will not take credit for that. You got to give that to, to Sean and his people over there at Answers. They really gave you the space here to make that happen. It is a great space. And I appreciate you coming on to explain the difference between headlines. Cock a doodle don't is not on. All right, now I'm going to put you on the spot here. Do it. All right. Uh, do you prefer? <laughs> are you a, uh, you read in the newspaper or do you read on your phone? Uh, I'm a phone man. I'm actually a desktop man. So I come in and I look at it actually on the browser online. But then I do grab the paper when I come into the office. One of the perks of the job is that you get the newspaper. So you don't get a home delivery. I do not. All right. I just want to tell you folks here at the bright one. I get a home delivery every day. All right. Have been since the early 80s. And uh, someone told me, you know, you can get it all bad. Now that you work for sometimes, you can get the, the discount. Someone told me, I can't remember who it was. I go, I'm not getting the discount. I support my beloved bright one. How about that one? All right. Uh, with, we got uh, sitting on deck, Chris Buddy, folks. Stick around for this. His movie about gamblers is absolutely sensational, and we'll probably broaden the topic to movies and also the politics of vices. Which vice is most destructive as the state of Illinois and the city of Chicago look for new ways to raise money to fund government? We'll right back with the great Chris Buddy after this. Everybody check out the brand new Chicago Sun-Times website, chicago.suntimes.com. It's slick, it's sleek, it's brand new. Go check it out. And hey, find the Ben Jarofsky Show on the site as well, chicago.suntimes.com forward slash Jarofsky. Did you know that 40% of the people in Illinois opt to be cremated? Well, it's true. And Chicagoland Cremation Options honors their wishes by providing cremation services directly to the general public. Chicagoland Cremation Options provides an affordable, ethical, and easy cremation arrangement, whether in person or online. Save thousands and streamline the process by going directly to Chicagoland Cremation Options. It's a family-owned business operated by my good friend, Douglas Klein. Here's how you reach them. ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. One more time. ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. Take a chill pill, man. Today's Ben Jarofsky Show was brought to you in part by Chicago Architecture Center. Get to know your city on one of Chicago Architecture Center's 65 walking tours. Hear the unforgettable secrets and stories behind Chicago architecture from our expert docents. Book your tour at architecture.org slash tours. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm actually on a tour right now. Oh, wow. Look at that building. Today's Ben Jarofsky show is also also brought to you in part by Green Element Resale. It's a thrift shop located at 6241 North Broadway in Chicago. And guys, it's amazing. Furniture, appliances, lamps, books, clothes, electronics. 
It's a thrift shop, but it's the only thrift shop in Chicago that helps bring you the Ben Jarofsky Show. So if you're ever on Broadway between Granville and Devon, tell them thank you. Go check out Green Element Resale, 6241 North Broadway, and find more information at greenelementresale.com. Now, this next part may be a bit biased here because they're sponsors, but it's the greatest thrift shop in the world. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. All right, we are indeed live. Uh, Brian Ernst is nice enough to stick around a little longer, but we brought in Chris Buddy as well, the man, the myth, the legend, the movie man, we used to call him, back in that old uh, show I used to have back in the day. Welcome to our new place, Chris. This is beautiful. It's very nice to be back. Yeah, isn't it beautiful? I said it's like Wayne's World, but you said, no, it's better than Wayne's World. It's a little more upscale than Wayne's World. All right. <laughs> more upscale. All right, got to ask you this. Before we uh, take the deep dive uh, into uh, Chris's movie, which, folks, I'm giving four stars not one not two not three but four stars Whoa. inside the edge yeah i told you man I had he's to. picky uh, okay i'm tough on movies uh chris gave me a chance to look at it and i watched it last night great flick a uh, documentary about obsessive gamblers who beat the system we'll get into all of it uh but chris uh, i need to ask you a few questions movie related questions in the old days when you come on the show we would take these bizarre uh, movie conversations so first of all i just saw wayne's world again i tell all our guess that our studio is a little like Wayne's World. Uh, of course, for our, some of our younger viewers, Wayne's World is about uh, a, uh, a public access show that's shot in the basement of some house in Aurora. Started as a Saturday Night Live skit. Very good. Started as a... The movie man, all right? Started as a... All right. In your humble opinion, does Wayne's World stand the test of time? It does. Wow. <laughs> and only for, if, if for nothing else than yeah. the unbelievable parody they do of sponsorships. So, you know, the, the oh, yeah, pizza mm-hmm. and the uh, Reeboks and the Pepsi. Still hilarious. Yeah. When was the last time you saw Wayne's World? I probably saw it five years ago. Within the last five years. All right. Now, Dennis tells me Wayne's World 2 is even better than Wayne's World. There are some great... It's funny. a little goofier, but there's yeah. some real funny parts, too. Uh, I've never seen Wayne's World. It's worth it. They get better, more into kind of out-and-out uh, uh, out parody of other movies and other and other scenes from other movies. I was telling Ben, it kinda, yeah. you kind of start to see the beginning of how Mike Myers... Like makes movies in Wayne's World too, like yeah. you know, very uh, I don't know, so Austin Powers esque. I don't know, it's 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 good. I like it better yeah. than the well, first. He's an undeniable genius, anyway. I mean, so well, yeah, Mike, Mike Myers. Myers. Okay, so uh, the other movie I just recently saw, uh, which I found hilarious, I rented it from Redbox. Am I the only man in the world who still gets movies from Redbox? Uh, no, I'm, I'm sure there's still some Redboxers. Out yeah, there. <laughs> Brian, you get movies from Redbox uh, occasionally. Okay, occasionally. all right, I'm not alone. Uh, anyway, Blockers. Have you seen Blockers? <laughs> I have seen Blockers. Well, it's very funny. Isn't I was it? pleasant surprised by blockers i think it came out on you know uh a new movie comes out every saturday on hbo right a free movie comes out and i think it was the I new movie one that. so we just sat down and watched it without thinking and i thought it was really funny i was pleasantly surprised with wait that. time out you can watch movies regular movies on hbo but you have to pay for are there, is that like a premium thing so i don't pay? have cable right uh-huh. so i just get a few different services and hbo is one that i pay for so oh, i see okay a movie, movies still come on regular right. i mean obviously they make their own content which is awesome but Okay, uh, so I'm still a Redbox guy. I don't do that. All right, uh, then finally, <laughs> The Shining. I watched The Shining. I rented it uh, from uh, Netflix. I got some movies from Netflix. With them. Chris Buddy, I got to tell you, The Shining, made in 1980, I want to say, is maybe even better now than it was then. Do you Are you a Shining fan? I'm a big Shining guy. I mean, that's a, that's a big one for me. I watch that probably once a year. I mean, you can't go wrong with Kubrick anyway, yeah. Jack Nicholson anyway. Uh I think it's pretty neat. And uh, what what's what makes it stand the test of time, in your humble opinion? 
Wow. Well, you know, there was a lot of it's, I mean, it's scary as hell, right? You got the twins hacked up in the hallway. That's an awesome scene. There's just great scenes. And I think, you know, if you had to look at the tracking shots, that was the first time I think Garrett Brown, who invented the, uh, the steady cam, absolutely right. He, that was one of the first that he had. He was following Danny through the hallways on Danny his being the little wheel, boy. The little the kid, bike. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it's like narrow hallways, wide shot, kind of disorienting, super freaky. Like, and then all of a sudden it ends in the the twins in the hallways. These scenes like that, I think, are what make it so dizzying and claustrophobic, obviously, is the, the main point of the movie. And yet, Chris, buddy, I have to tell you this. Uh, when After I saw the movie, it was, I had one of my obsessive moments, of, of which I have many in my life. Uh, I went and started reading about The uh, Shining. When it first came out, mixed reviews. Oh, that I Mick, didn't know. Yeah, Gene Siskel, may he rest in peace, from sure. the Chicago Tribune, did not give it a positive review. Roger Ebert, the great legendary Roger Ebert, did not give it a positive review. Later, Roger Ebert re, uh, came out with a, uh, sort of a, a retro, a new a new view of The Shining, I think in, in the O's, like 2007, and he said this is a classic, one of the great movies. It is, it's a classic. So what other movies are like that, which came out, uh, got panned, got lukewarm reviews, and then now are considered classics. Wow, that's interesting. I mean, you know, the famous story of Citizen Kane almost didn't get released, right? They, they banned that movie because of Hearst. So that didn't, I don't think that came out with, and that's obviously one of the most famous cinema nerd movies of all time. <laughs> cinema nerds. <laughs> uh, along with myself. But yeah, so that movie, I think, came out a little bit on like with a whimper and didn't come out as big as, I mean, if you look at any top film rating, that's number one on most people's list. Um, I can't think of too many others, but so sorry to go back to The Shining. If you were getting on a deep obsession, have you come across the documentary Room Two Thirty Seven? Yes, of course. How cool was that? Yeah, no, that's <laughs> that. That is the deep obsession. We'll stay away from that. Okay. We really got to get back to our business. But yes, this is a movie about people who are utterly obsessed with The Shining and not right. Even they have theories about The Shining that aren't really accurate. I mean, they're just wacky and weird, right? So none of them are really what Kubrick was trying to accomplish. But what's cool about that movie, not to get too nutty about The Shining for too long, but they're, they do point out things that I would have never have po pointed out or have recognized in The Shining. Little uh, images on the wall or stickers or the clothing people are wearing. I know, like the kid was wearing a, like a, uh, what is it, Apollo sh uh, sweater. Well, and the, and uh, so they think so. Sorry, they, they the, the obsessive fans think that The Shining, the real reading of the movie The Shining, is that Kubrick was the one who filmed the faking of the Apollo landing, and this is his uh, his, uh, his his confession, his confession of the yeah, wall, which yeah. is just like a, it's not the most direct confession <laughs> right. if it is a confession, because like nobody in their right mind would see that as a right at the clues, except for you lunatics out there, you <laughs> um, handful. All right, let's get on to uh, Inside the Edge. Uh, great flick. Uh, first of all, tell folks where they can get it if they want to watch it themselves. Sure. So, yeah, my film was just released Tuesday, the 21st. So, it's available on most video on demand platforms, meaning any cable provider should have it on their video on demand iTunes Store, Amazon Prime Video, Amazon for DVDs and Blu ray. Mm -hmm. And then there's like a whole host of other video on demand things that I honestly don't even know. Voodoo, Xbox, these people have their own, uh, YouTube have their own catalog of movies as well. So, pretty much anywhere you want to find it. All right. And give folks the synopsis uh, without giving away. Too many sure. Things. Well, there's not too many. It's a documentary, so there's not too much, you know, well, high kinda, wire tension. But uh, well, there kind of is. Yeah, thank I, you. I appreciate that. So yeah, so uh, it's a it's following some of the world's top card counters, meaning guys who beat the game of blackjack, play professional blackjack legally. So they go and attack casinos, and and the guys I follow 
or the one guy it was one of my best friends I followed is uh, probably one of the premier blackjack Wait, players Wait, that's your ever. best friend? Yeah, I met him at Tulane at college. Uh, yeah, I was a freshman. He was a senior. And actually, funnily enough, we met in French cinema class. And he was a math major kind of just doing it to kind of get his elective out of the way. And I was kind of knee deep and I'd seen all the movies already and nothing about oh my go God. down. They, <laughs> so that's where we met and then uh, yeah. just kept in touch. And he kept telling me, so I had already knew he was playing blackjack and was obsessed with blackjack. Yeah. Later found out his father was an innovator of the way you beat the game of cards, by counting cards obviously, the way you beat the game of blackjack in the late 50s, early 60s, mm-hmm. before anyone knew what was going on. So he would always kind of check in with me and say, here's what I'm up to, I'm winning this amount of money and I'm playing as a high roller in Vegas. And I kept thinking, man, if we could document any of this. But obviously, a lot of the thing about blackjack is you want to remain under the radar. You don't want to be known by the casinos. So eventually he kind of realized his career was ending and he said, come on board if you want. If you think we can get stuff and get like a good story to tell, then then come along. So I jumped right in and I bought a button camera so I could film. I don't know if you noticed ah, in the film, there's yeah. a lot of surreptitiously captured right. footage in casinos of us getting our lives threatened and yeah. <laughs> getting kicked out of casinos. No, it's it's really, now that get, let's get to that. All right, let's, let's start off. Uh, number one, that the fact that you can be kicked out of a casino for beating a casino, we'll get to that. I think that's, that's highly it. illegal. I, that's my personal standpoint. I'm looking for a libertarian lawyer to take that case. But uh, you'll know what I'm talking about, folks, if you see the movie. But uh, so let's just talk about this. How do you, as simply as you can, because it gets very complicated, sure. how does a person beat Vegas when it comes to blackjack? It's a lot easier than anyone would think. Uh, and I, and, but, but difficult at the same time, meaning I've been around it for however many years making this movie, I cannot do it. Um, I'd equate it to learning a language. So it's it's simple math. It's literally just keeping track, of car, keeping track of cards that are being dealt. Plus one, minus one. Plus one for, I don't know, excuse me, I'm gonna get this wrong, but it's face cards versus you know low lower uh, value cards. Mm-hmm. And the whole point about this is that the player can make any decision they want and the casino has to make certain decisions up to a point. They have to stand on 17 and things like that. So. Essentially, if there are more face cards and aces in the deck, the dealer's more liable to bust. That's the most simple, I mean, there's a lot more complex things going on, but really it's just simple math in kind of a high pressure situation and, and guys who can keep can track hand, of it, can keep track of it, but also handle people talking to you. Is this person looking at me? I gotta get a drink order coming and the lights and the flashing and the, the noise. Um, and then beyond that, you also need a pretty substantial bankroll to make it worthwhile. So even if you knew it, but kind of went in with a couple hundred bucks, It'd be cool and you'd have fun for a weekend or two, but um, you're not a real threat to the casino. And so they would let you do it. Yeah, they'd let you do so, it. So an argument could be made that if you really want to uh, max out, you should just do it for 10 years and win $100 a day And after 10 years. Yeah, if you want to grind like that, I mean, you could stay under the radar forever, but I think he, so my friend who you saw the movie about yeah. is the main character, is, we call him KC, obviously, mm-hmm. uh, not his real name, but... Uh, he kind of just wanted to get in and make a splash and, and make as much money as he could and then move on to other things. And that was the impetus and why he let me film and, and, and put his, his likeness out there. It's so funny. It's not his real name. And yet you see his face. He's talking. I mean, he's a huge character in the movie. You hear about his father. I mean, it's like, what, that was the one point. But why not just give his real name out? What, what, what is he hiding? Yeah, no, he's not hiding anything. But I think... It, it, Having lived in this world for so long, I think anonymity is such a big deal yeah. that he's kind of just going. I mean, his father was a world uh, backgammon champion for yeah. a number of years. And uh, 
Monte Carlo. So they're they're out there, but I, they still are private people, and I, I was respective of that about uh, making the movie. All right. Well, it's a great. First of all, it's a road flick too, uh, because right. he goes on the road. They go on the road together in an RV of some kind, and they go they go to Vegas, they go to New Orleans or uh, Los, Louisiana, they go uh, to the casinos in Mississippi. And uh, funny you should say though, because while editing, so I, we had a great editor, uh, Suzanne Sufferden was our editor, who's a longtime Cartemquin associate and a professor of editing at DuPaul. Mm-hmm. Uh, we watched a lot of road movies to kind of get in that. All while being a documentary, we watched. I don't know if you ever saw Tulane Blacktop or these old '70s great road movies. A lot of Corman movies um, to try and get that editing vibe. Because I mean, while it's a documentary, we still want it to be super entertaining. In your humble opinion, greatest road movie ever. Go. Greatest road movie. I like Tulane Blacktop, but how about, uh, man. Brian, do you have one? Uh, I have one that Roger Ebert gave a very terrible review, and that is the... As Tommy Boy. Oh, it's a great movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what I was going to Tommy Boy rules. Yeah. I was thinking more classics, but Tommy Boy rules. If you go into the Roger Ebert archive, you can find, I think it's either a half star or one star review. It's one yeah. of my favorite reviews yeah, of all time. Uh, what's the one? I just blanked in the name. I just saw it again. Uh, ben Stiller, and uh, he goes to... What's Flirting that? with Disaster. No, yeah. Leah. That's a classic, by the way. David O. Russell. That's what yeah. that movie rules. Greatest awesome. road movie call. ever. Anyway, give her a raise, all right? <laughs> Good job, Leah. Um, so anyway, all right. So it goes to here. The issue is that I was talking about it earlier, and this is a key part of your movie. The um, casinos, <laughs> I don't know how they get away with this, but apparently they can, uh, have the right to kick people out for trespassing. And uh, so you would think a person kicked out for trespassing in a casino would be somebody who is abusive, somebody who comes in as violent. Or cheating. Or literally cheating. Uh, I don't know. I don't even know how you could literally. Well, there have been cheaters in the, in the past. Then have you ever seen Casino when the guys have the, uh, yes. the mechanic thing? and they <laughs> Pencil. <that's> yeah. <laughs> Great movie. Casino. All right. Anyway, but um, so... Uh, or cheating, okay. Or violent, what have you. Certainly. Um, your uh, your star of your movie, KC, is none of the above. Correct. He goes in, he plays the game. With his mind to the rules. Of to the, the rules. He's not cheating. He's just being as smart as he can. All right? He's using all his capabilities uh, to his maximum advantage. They still kick him out. How is that legal, Chris Buddy? That, <laughs> to me, that was the most uh, uh, significant point to me making this movie because... And starting any film, I want to know, is there a story to be told and do I have the access, right? Mm. I knew I had the access, but is this, there's been things out there on Blackjack before there's books. There's a terrible movie called 21 with Kevin Spacey. No. But I said, can I bring something new to this? And, <laughs> and, and I knew the answer was yes. <laughs> Are we all in agreement on that? Have you seen 21? I loved it when it came out. Oh, re- when I revisited it, I'm like, what the hell was I thinking? I know. This well, it's so, so fictionalized. I, it's yeah. over. It's yeah, so, hyperbolized. But yeah. to that point is, uh, even, excuse me, this movie came out Tuesday and I was telling people about it. I had someone the other day say, well, blackjack card counting is le- illegal. So people still think it's illegal. That's how per- pervasive the casino's argument has how been. How could you possibly make card counting illegal? That's like saying it's illegal to think. That's exactly right. I mean, <laughs> but casinos well, are massive entities. I mean, these are, you know, they're owned by corporations. I mean, I love casinos. I have a lot, you know, I, I think they're great. I have a good time in them for great meals and great entertainment. Uh, the gambling side, I'm a little iffy on, right? Yeah. Uh, but so the, the, so sorry to answer your question is they are private entities, right? So they can kick people out for any reason or no reason at all. And as we say in the movie, besides 
you know, statutes of race and discrimination, obviously, right? You can't. So if you if, if someone want to kick you out of a casino for wearing a bull's hat, they have absolutely the right to. They can do it for no reason at all because they're private entities or private clubs. Huh. I, I just uh, have a hard time buying that. First of all, I just said, uh, I, 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 you're kicking somebody out. It, it is a form of discrimination. You're kicking someone out because they're smart. Isn't that a form of discrimination? Wow, I don't know that we've examined that avenue. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they kick them out. They, well, explain how it is. What, what do they? How do they f- uh, follow and trace somebody who's a card? Right. Counter? So that's what's interesting. They don't want to make a, a, a quick judgment, right? Because they don't want someone who's going to eventually lose all that money to. If someone's winning, they want to give them the chance to lose it back, which most people will do, like myself. If I'm just a high roller coming in there for a Vegas weekend. So they'll make, they want to make an informed decision. So that gives these blackjack players a little bit of leeway to play and to win. Then they will uh, follow you along. If you start, they all, it's all with a bet. So if I'm betting low at a certain time and all of a sudden I put two, thousand, two hands with 2,000 out there, they're going to say, well, okay, what, what's going on here? They're going to follow along and they, the guys in the surveillance room even will count along with you. So Time out. The guys in the surveillance room. Just take a moment to explain to people what that means. Right. So there's a surveillance room. I mean, anyone in the casino knows there's thousands of cameras, right? They're watching every game. They don't want anyone stealing. They don't want anyone, do anything, anyone doing anything untoward, right? Yeah. But they also don't want card counters in there. They don't want to, they don't want to lose a cent, the casinos. So what they'll do is they'll, they'll have guys in the uh, surveillance room following along, counting cards, if they think there's someone in there counting. So typically, what I, in my experience, what they'll do is, <laughs> if they're, ve- they're very polite, some can be polite and some can be real jerks, right, if they're, if they're very aggressive. But the, the more polite interactions, they'll come up and say, listen, it's a cat and mouse game. You know, we know, you know, and you know, we know. Uh, you're welcome to any of the restaurants, any of the other uh, entities of the casino, but no more table games for you, no more blackjack. So that's be called being backed off. But a lot of these guys will then throw on a mustache, throw on a hat, throw on a wig, and come back in and play some more. Yeah. They'll look aggressive. And that's when they read you the Trespass Act, and if you come back, you'll be arrested on the spot. And uh, yeah, you're, uh, you're the star of your show uh, goes to great lengths. Talk about that uh, to conceal his identity. Yeah, so we, <laughs> he's a master at, at, at disguise. So we, along the way, we had a lot of great disguises and, uh, and, and kind of pushed that envelope. Uh, and he, I, I, well, he was doing anyway, and I kind of just followed along and watched in amazement. Now, when, so you didn't have a, this is what I was going to ask you. You didn't have, obviously, you didn't have a, a like, your, your camera crew with the sound guy. Uh, well, we did for moments outside the casino, right? So it, it's uh, interesting, or excuse me, it's important to note that we also did interview some of the most uh, prolific card counters and, and gamblers and authors on the subject of all time to kind of round out the documentary. But you're right. To make the, the meat of the documentary, I know I needed to get some in-casino uh, interactions which had never really been seen before in real in in real time. So mm-hmm. what we did was bought a high res button camera, and I kind of wore it just like any other button. You couldn't tell it was a, a camera, and I would capture every uh, every time we were in a casino. And now, th- is that legal? That is. That is a gray area. They don't want people uh, filming in casinos, <laughs> yeah. but we've uh, we've vetted it with lawyers and, and, and saw what our risk was. So and, and we're kind okay, of okay. Uh, so they have unlimited right to film absolutely everything in their casino because they own it. Uh, they had un- unlimited right to uh, keep people who are better than they are at poker from playing blackjack, poker yeah. or blackjack. Well, okay, uh, it, it, from playing blackjack in their casino, they have that right. But it's unclear whether you have a right to take a picture. Well, you're not supposed to. I know for a fact you're not supposed to. But in all fairness to them, I think that's more, and and which I agree with, is more for privacy of their patrons, which I think is fine. Okay. Uh, Well, what about them filming the patrons? 
but don't, don't well, but they're not disseminating right. it really i don't think <laughs> except for the people up in the pro right. the, the, the booth you know oh look at look at this one huh uh so what's the gray area that you felt confident enough uh to take the film well it's my understanding that to i mean what am i gonna get sued i mean i'm i'm a, I'm, a, I'm i like to get risky I, i'm happy to put this movie out with a little bit of risk on it uh but i don't i think in my understanding you need to prove damages to sue somebody i don't know what possible what possible damage I inflicted on anyone mm-hmm. filming my my friend playing? We blurred out everybody else, as you saw. Yeah, you blur everybody. Um, Even the guards are blurred. Yeah, out. so yeah. we did blur, and you know, to be honest, like that, that was a concern of mine. I mean, I made this film not knowing whether like we'd get to the finish line le- legally, uh-huh. um, but I think you know. Some of the casinos had even closed down in, in the time while we were editing, which was good. And also, if you look at any of the casinos, I mean, they all blend together. I mean, I don't think you could, uh, can someone really say like, that's the Cal Neva in Reno? You know, it's hard to tell. Yeah, uh, it is a great flick, folks. I urge everybody to check it out, Inside the Edge, Chris Buddy's documentary. How many years you work on it? Oh man, we worked on it a number of years. So we shot it for two, two and a half years, and then it took about two years to edit. So just under five years. I. Chris, uh, a few years ago, used to film our shows at the Hideout. McDumpy and my shows at the Hideout first Tuesday. By the way, did a great job. No pressure, Antonio. Currently films our stuff, uh, and uh, uh, and I remember when you were doing that. You were telling me you were doing a movie, making a documentary about uh, blackjack and guys who count and uh, beat the odds, and uh, and so his masterpiece is finished. Inside the Edge. Uh, when we come back, I'm going to uh, broaden the conversation a little bit, talk about vices, get uh, Chris's thoughts on whether gambling is a, a vice that we should tap to raise money for government. we we'll right back after this. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture, food, arts and entertainment, weekly concert listings, weekly event listings, the environment, travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader, free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. Hey there, producer Dennis here. Thanks for finding and listening to the brand new Ben Jarofsky Show. All right, so here's how this works. The Ben Jarofsky Show live streams on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m. Once the show is over, you can listen to the replay on our YouTube channel, or we throw it online for you to download by 4 p.m. Where can you download the Ben Jarofsky Show, you may be asking yourself? Well, you may be asking yourself a fantastic question. You can find previous Ben Jarofsky Shows and guest interviews through several outlets. The Chicago Sun-Times Online, chicago.suntimes.com. The Chicago Reader Online, chicagoreader.com, and wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, pick one. Just search for The Ben Jarovsky Show. J-O-R-A. V as in victory, S-K-Y. So, let's recap. Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m., live streamed on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel and downloadable by 4 at chicago.suntimes.com, chicagoreader.com, and wherever else you listen to your favorite podcast. Yes, the Ben Jarofsky Show is back. We're live and downloaded. Tell your friends and enjoy the rest of the show.
All right, everybody. After five years in Andersonville, Murray and White has made the difficult decision to close their doors. But everything in their store is now on sale. Notable sale items. Voluspa Nest Fragrances brand candles are on sale. That is, if Ben Jarofsky didn't buy them all. <laughs> Guy loves candles. My goodness. Yeah. Tried hawking candles to me the other day. I'm like, dude, I got enough candles. Voluspa Nest Fragrances brand candles are 20% off. These lines can rarely be found on sale. So while 20% isn't the largest discounts, lovers of both these popular candle lines like Ben have been buying them up. <laughs> all rugs, 30% off. In-store and new orders through June 1st. All floor sample furniture is 30 to 50% off. Uh, let's see here. Antique furniture pieces are 40 to 50% off. Pillows are 40% off. Picture frames, 40% off. And jewelry, 40 to 50% off. Mirrors and wall art are 30 to 50% off. Home decor and accessories are all 20 to 60% off. Lamps, 50% off. Store fixtures and lighting is is also on sale as well. Once again, after five years in Andersonville, Murray and White have made the unfortunate decision to close down their doors. But everything in store, maybe not candles, because Ben probably bought them all, <laughs> are on sale now. <laughs> Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Mr. Jarofsky. Man, take us uh, home. All right, super cool. Music means that I end of another show. We still have a few minutes left. And by the way, on keyboards, uh -oh. Chris Buddy. Oh, yeah, he's playing keyboards. Man. Brian Ernst playing organ on that one, D. Nice. Uh, these guys not only make movies and run the uh, entire websites for the Chicago Sun-Times, they make some super cool music. Chris Buddy in the studio. His movie, uh, Inside the Edge, is outstanding. We're talking about gambling. Uh, come on, here you go. I'm going to give you time to think about this while I go to D for the update. Both of you, Brian and Chris, greatest gambling movies ever. Think about that while I go to you for the update. Oh, I want to think right. of a gambling movie, too. All right. Three. Our, uh, no, none of our friends over at the Illinois Policy Institute, they're putting the pressure on Pritzker. <laughs> oh, they're continuing. Yes, indeed, they uh, are. Pritzker's trying to get that fair tax plan passed mm. through the House. And our friends of the Illinois uh, conservative persuasion are trying their damnedest to not let that happen. Uh, some feller from the Illinois Policy Institute with the last name Tillman. Johnny Tillman. Johnny Tillman. He weighed in here. Uh, well, first, the Illinois Policy Institute posted uh, Pritzker's proposed tax and fee hikes and the estimated revenue. They went through things like tax on Medicaid providers, tax sports gambling, recreational cannabis tax, video gambling, plastic bags tax, things like that. All together, Almost $7 billion is, uh, is what the Illinois Policy Institute is saying. And then they put a tweet, what's Governor Pritzker's price tag? Nearly $7 billion in tax hikes, and he's not even a year in. Hashtag T-Will. <laughs> They're good at that Twitter stuff. Yeah, T. Huh? Will, by the way, we learned this uh, the hard way uh, through people saying, "Yay, dumbasses!" Uh, T. Will, Twitter, Illinois. Oh, did not know that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then this Tillman guy went on into the Chicago Tribune, Ben's favorite newspaper. He, he likes the Tribune about as much as he likes candles. I <laughs> uh, put here. Uh, Tillman wrote in an op-ed: First, the governor's motor fuel tax increase would bring in five hundred sixty million dollars a year, and not one point two billion dollars. Although a commentator points out correctly that another. 
da, 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 da. All right. Well, this guy goes on to say here. Oh, here we go. He calls Pritzker a bully. Oh, oh bully. Yeah, okay. there we go. When oh. state representatives have the audacity to oppose the governor's proposal, Pritzker God. responds by attacking them. That's what happened when these two Democrats, state reps Sam Yingling of Grays Lake and Jonathan Carroll of Northbrook, recently said the progressive tax was the wrong choice for their constituents. Pritzker responded to their pro-constituent decision by saying those who oppose this progressive tax plan are siding with millionaires and the very wealthy against everyday Illinoisans, and they need to offer an alternative that will fix our state's long-standing fiscal challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, John Tillman, of course, is the Anything you'd like to say to John Tillman? Yeah, John Tillman, I CEO of Illinois Policies. Right. By the way, I met John Tillman. Wow. Many years ago. John, if you're listening, yeah, you remember that. I taught John Tillman about tips. He didn't know anything about Who tips. Who didn't you teach about tips? <laughs> That's the question. Everybody's like, Ben, a little slower. But I'm going to give John Tillman credit. He was, he was a little faster in the uptake than most people that I teach about. And he saw what was going on. Uh, but since then, I'm, John Tillman, where are you on tips? Huh? Yep. Hey, come out from under the table. Under the table. My attitude about all the members, the conservative faction in Illinois, who are outraged by forcing the well-to-do to pay at a higher rate than uh, the not well-to-do is this. If you're so much against funding government, stand with me against handouts to corporations to build upscale communities in already gentrifying neighborhoods like Lincoln Yard. Hold on, where's John Tillman on that one? Nope, nope, under the table. Under the table. Pick up your trash next time. Where was Bruce Rauner in that one? Up under the table. Uh. When it comes... <laughs> I haven't heard the Bruce Rauner. Uh, when it comes to handouts to the rich, I never hear from my brothers and sisters of the conservative persuasion. Never hear from them. All right. Never hear from them. But what's the, the richest guy? Ken Griffin. Never hear from him. Never hear that. But when it comes to giving like some pensioner uh, 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 a check, a monthly check that enables him to live. I'm outraged. What a waste of money. Yay so for our teachers, I believe our teachers. <laughs> that's our good friend Bruce Ronner. Talk about bullies! Good God, Pritzker's an easy compare. Where was Tillman when it came to Ronner bullying him? Hold on, there under the table. Well, the table's huge. Yeah, it's a big. A lot of conservatives who are under the table hiding. So I'll believe my conservative brothers and sisters are against uh, taxation when they take a stand uh, giving, uh, against giving handouts to the well-to-do. Yep, Mm-mm-mm. nowhere to be found in that because that's property, that's public dollars that go to their pals. Anyway, all right. Wait, J.B. Pritzker's weighing in. I'm not a perfect person. <laughs> not perfect. All right? right, here we go. The challenge uh, that I gave uh, to Chris and Brian Ernst. We'll start with you, Brian. Greatest poker movies of all time. Go. Uh, it's not a poker. It's actually a blackjack movie. It's actually pretty recent. Uh, Win It All, starring Jake Johnson. Yeah, I saw yeah. Win It All. Uh, it takes the, uh, the tour of the many of the... Go ahead. My favorite, no, no, my favorite thing about it and why it sticks in my mind is the device they use to kind of... You never really see how much he's playing with. And then every once in a while, they throw a total if he's up or he's down in the bottom corner. And it's like, it's a gut punch when you see he's 10 grand under, he's 25 grand under, whatever it is. And he's trying to get it back based on money that you know is not his from from the get-go. All right, that's a good one. Great movie. I got a couple. Okay. Uh, like well, You said poker, so you got in my head, but rounders is super entertaining. Mm-hmm. So uh, rounders. And then uh, if going back, James Toback used to make really good gambling movies, so The Gambler with James Caan. Oh, yeah. And then mm-hmm. kind of a tangential uh, gambling film, but uh, Fingers with Harvey Keitel. He plays a uh, he's a mobster's son. He's a pianist, but he's also a debt collector for his uh, his father. I never saw. Is that worth it? Oh yeah, it's classic. Uh, thing. All right, 
uh, gentlemen, uh, obviously I'm of the older persuasion than either of you in the studio. I have to go with the Cincinnati Kid from the 1960s. Uh, uh, Edwin, uh, what was, I just blanked on his name. Uh, Robinson played the... Uh, Edward G. Robinson. Edward G. Robinson is in the Cincinnati Kid and Steve McQueen. And then uh, The Sting. Come on, man, The Sting. Anybody in this room see The Sting? Here. All right, there we go, The Sting at the top of the list. Leah, you see The Sting? No. no. okay. <laughs> Best picture one, right? Uh, it, it may have won the best picture. All I right. I was a little busy earlier uh, doing some stuff here. Uh, my favorite, 21. You guys ever see that one? That's great. <laughs> 20, did see 21. Who was in 21? We were talking about how awful it was. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so, all right, let's talk about uh, the, uh, the, the vice element here. Uh, governments are trying uh, to raise money to pay for uh, services. They're looking for every conceivable way to avoid uh, taxing people's property. Uh, we And uh, they're going to vices. So uh, having spent the better part of the last four years or so trailing a a gambler, um, do you think gambling is, well, let me ask this. Where do you rank gambling on the list of vices that government is trying to tax? And it would be gambling, it would be reefer, and it would be alcohol. Alcohol, of course, is uh, legal, and people have been taxing uh, alcohol consumption forever. But of those three, Chris, buddy, uh, what are the, what do you, in your humble opinion, what's the worst? The worst, uh, gambling. I think it ruins a lot of people's lives. Uh, I, I've showed one element of it where someone beat the system, but that's very, I mean, that's less than 1% of anybody who's ever gambled. Um, and then I just don't know, I mean, I'd have to defer to you, but anytime someone opens a casino in a city to revitalize the economy. I don't know that it's really ever fully worked. So gambling, it's uh, utterly destructive. Where would you put reefer uh, in, in, in uh, I'm pro reefer and CBD. I mean, I don't really smoke, but I'm all for it. And then um, I drink a lot, and I'd be happy to pay the tax <laughs> to drink. I mean, that's fine with me. All right, I drink a lot, he says. Uh, got him through the making of this movie. Uh, your thoughts, Brian? I don't know if I put what I put at the worst, but I was thinking, like, if you're, if you're, if you're gambling... And say you don't have a family, that you're really only hurting yourself. Where if, if you did something, if you were smoking or you start drinking and you got behind the car, like you're hurting other people. Mm-hmm. So where it's like gambling is a very much it does ruin lives, but it's ruining yours or your family or people who are support or yeah. want you for support. Yeah, but it's just like it's not an actual immediate danger right there. It's That's a, a, valid it's a, point. It's a long form danger, but it's I've done it too. It's like you get to a casino, it's like oh I'm up a hundred bucks, it's free money. Well, no, it's not. And then by the time you're gone, it's like all right, well. That was quick. Yeah. For a very tiny win. Now imagine <laughs> yeah. if you're dealing with the stakes that probably the people he's following, if they're dealing with, I mean, it could be devastating. Yeah. And uh, again, folks, the whole thing is tilted against you. They know coming in, they're going to take your money. And if they discover somebody, as we learned in Chris Buddy's documentary, who is better than they are, they'll kick them out of the casino. Kick you right out. <laughs> Freaking unbelievable. All right, Chris, before we leave, one more time, uh, give folks the information they need to know about your movie if they want to see it, the name, and where they can see it. Yeah, Inside the Edge, also known as Inside the Edge, a professional blackjack adventure. Uh, You can see it right now on most streaming video-on-demand services, iTunes, Amazon Prime, and cable and video-on-demand through your cable provider are probably the best places to look first. All right, very good. And before you go, what movie are you looking forward to the most to seeing in the coming months? Oh, without question, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. That's probably the movie I've been most looking forward to in the, the decade. That would be Quentin Tarantino's Quentin next Quentin Tarantino's one. just premiered at Cannes. We don't know anything about it. 
We're not reading the spoilers. Yeah, we don't know anything about it, but uh, I don't know if you saw this. Quentin Tarantino is losing his mind, uh, concerned about uh, spoiler alerts. Yeah, I'm not taking a look at any of them. Um, don't read them all. What, what about you, Brian? What's your... I mean, that's on my list, too. But uh, the funny thing is I was actually reading that him saying don't give spoilers is having people spread spoilers more. So it's kind of like he's been his own worst enemy yeah. for this. But like, just stay away from him. Just enjoy the movies. Uh, absolutely stay away from him, indeed, if you want to know what's going If you uh, don't want to know what's going on. All right, very good. Chris Buddy, thanks for being here. Brian Ernst, thank you for being here. Jim Lewis was here earlier. Leah did a great job. She's our show's editor. And, of course, the man, the myth, the legend, the pride of joy of Alton, Illinois. Chris, do you know they call him White Lightning back in Alton? Yeah, they call him White Lightning. No, <laughs> the ladies all love him for his body, his mind. That would be Dr. D. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. And remember, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites, chicago.suntimes.com slash Jarofsky, chicagoreader.com, and wherever else you download your favorite podcasts. Find us on social media at Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show. So close to 1,500 likes on Facebook. As soon as we get 1,500, we will have a caption contest, a J.B. Pritzker caption contest. Head over to those pages. Give us a like, follow, share, review. Tell us you don't like us. Whatever. It doesn't matter. At Benny J Show. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.